Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have No Time to Die, starring Daniel Craig, Rami Malek, Leia Sadu, Lashana Lynch, Ben Wishaw, story by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and Carrie Joji Funkanaga, and screenplay by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, Carrie Joji Funkanaga, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and directed by Carrie Joji Funkanaga. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. It's time to continue with our little small James Bond cast with the highly anticipated release of No Time to Die. And we're doing things a little bit different for this episode. Um, I'm being joined by two guests. Matt's a little bit under the weather right now. He will be back next week. Get well soon, Matt. Uh, but I'm being joined by Blake and Brett. You'll remember them. They joined us for our Star Wars uh, retrospective before the colossally disappointing Rise of Skywalker. You came on for Empire, and Brett, you came on for New Hope. So thank you for joining us today. Uh, welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Um, I don't think there's any way we'll fill Matt's shoes adequately, and it's a bit of a bummer. I was kind of wanting his his takes on a few of these, but we'll do our best, and uh, maybe Matt can do a solo uh, podcast on his on his view of, of the movie after we're R- all done. Rise smile responses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah that 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 that'll be definitely a, a lot of fun. But no, thank you for joining such last minute. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun to talk about, and kind of we need to get this episode out because. There's a lot of big things in this film to discuss before it gets spoiled and ruined for everyone. We kind of need to get in, do an analysis of it, and this is going to be a lot of fun, guys. So we're going to start out with the barrel bourbon whiskey. So if one of you could just pour us out uh, a glass, and while while you're doing that, my question to you, just to kind of we do, uh, let's do a pre-flight mixer. Uh, What's your familiarity with Bond, uh, just in general? Where are you coming at this from? Is it mostly just the Craig era films? Do you go all the way back to the Connery stuff? Is it just Pierce Brosnan and Goldeneye on the 64? Where are you guys coming in with this particular franchise? So for me, I know Craig. Craig is my James Bond mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, I've seen all the Pierce Brosnan ones because uh, he was Bond when I was born, yeah. obviously, so mm-hmm. I grew up with those. And I've gone back and watched at least half of Connery's and half of Moore's, uh, and I think one of T-Dalt. Uh, one T-Dalt <laughs> on the side. Yeah, but so I haven't seen all of them. I've seen a large majority, so but a, a de- lot of those have been one viewing also, other than the sure. Craig films. Sure, a decent familiarity. What about you? Yeah, so uh, child in the 90s, so Brosnan and Daniel Craig, quite familiar with, with all those and watched all of them you know, a fair amount, obviously very different styles between the two. Historically, I don't think I've seen the full collection. Like I believe uh, you have probably about uh, 50% of the pre nineties era movies. So um, familiarity with it, big fan. um, But I'm, I think I'm in the same boat as Brett. We are casual fans that will, will be able to kind of, Help. See our views against yours, who I know you're a lot. Help uh, the super fan out. Uh, yeah, you're a super fan. <laughs> in, his, so, uh, in his deciphering of what we're about to talk about. So, great. Thank you. Uh, cheers, gentlemen. Let's get started here. What do you think of that? 
That's good. First I, thing that I, ju- jumps out at me is it's 112 proof, so it's going to be a little harsher compared to some other bourbons. Yeah, definitely. You can taste the alcohol, so I was immediately grabbing the bottle to, to check the proof, mm-hmm. which is it's pretty strong. comes across, yeah. but it, uh, it still drinks well considering. So I'm not one to, to know the tasting notes of anything, but I know what I like, <laughs> and I do like it. So. You're a simple man for a uh, sim- simple taste. I love it. Well, guys, let's jump right in with our flight question. What do you guys think of that Hans Zimmer score? I just wanted to jump in there. Big fan of the Hans Zimmer James Bond theme. It hadn't been done before, and yeah, I'm a, I'm into music like you are, Jesse, yeah. and and I was a big fan. So I I hope that pairing happens again in the future. Yeah, it, it seemed like a weird kind of addition to Bond. You know, they get usually kind of you know off the beaten path guys are usually you know from Britain. But him jumping in, I was like, yeah, we know Hans Zimmer's music. And it he brought the horns, the trumpets, the classic sounds. I really I really dug the soundtrack. No, I, I agree. Uh, you could definitely hear the influences of some of his past series of oh, yeah, films. Oh, yeah, it gets a little Dark Knighty at the yeah. end. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I love that soundtrack, too. It's sure. a phenomenal soundtrack. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm all for the influences. Uh, within the James Bond structure that he uses. So. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's just start it off. You know, Bond, 25 films deep, six actors have played him. You guys mentioned Connery, Lazenby, Roger Moore, T. Dalt, Brosnan, and now Craig. You know, I think it's a franchise that's been able to sustain itself for, I think they're going on 60 years, 60 plus years now, uh, next year, in fact. Uh, primarily because they're able to recast the part, do it again with different actors, different tones, more comedic, more serious, more of its era. What's another film character from another franchise that you think could go the Bond approach and continue on with multiple actors? Go ahead, Blake. So uh, I had two answers, but I think one is going to be your answer, Jesse. So I'll go. I'll okay. go with my other, um, which I think that happens enjoy. a lot. Matt, 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 Matt <laughs> tries to do that a lot, and we like psych each other out, and, and then often... no one picks it. So if no one picks it, we'll we'll cover my other answer. Okay. But I was going to go John McClane, Die Hard series. Um, mm, it's very classically uh, Bruce Willis. That's the first person that comes to mind. But I do think there's a formula there that could be. Um, implemented to do a number of movies beyond just one actor. Um, I think the action genre in general works well with this idea of switching out the main uh, character. And so that would be, that would be my uh, answer for the question is, is a continuous diehard series. Uh, no, that would be fun. I think that's a great choice primarily because the problem with the later diehard uh, sequels is Bruce Willis. I mean, he's like, he got to the point post Sixth Sense where he just like, I don't care about acting anymore. And there's way, way more of the, I've got to save my kids in the later oh diehards. And it would be really nice <laughs> to just go back to young John McClane. Don't worry about all that stuff. Just, you know, yeah. repeat the formula without, without that additional oh, great choice. Chain. I would, I would, I would love to see that. What do you got, Brett? So I was looking at films that, you know, we're in the world of the reboot mm-hmm. right now. So I was looking at films that didn't necessarily 
lend itself to being rebooted, just like ready for a sequel. Yeah, sure. So, so mine is actually uh, the the character would be Captain Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean, mm. uh, mainly because you know there's endless possibilities with what you can do with pirates. Uh, yeah, with pirates, they've already gone off the rails with <laughs> some of their outlandish quests again you're speak- in their movies you're speaking a little bit to his uh solution which is the problem with the latter pirates films is johnny depp i mean it's yeah. like it's so played out at this point five films and i you guys even see four and five like it's it's they it's, all run together there it's, it's just a it's just a miasma right here so it, it really fits kind of his thing which is the actors kind of reached his peak yeah pretty much and and it's good because i mean you can keep some of the same characters uh, even with the same actors as they have in Bond, mm-hmm. uh, while you change that lead actor, uh, so I think as far as his crew and stuff on on his ships and things, so I think that lends itself well to to you know having a new lead actor bring something refreshing to to that franchise. Absolutely, great great choice. You guys think I'm going with Indiana Jones? Because I'm not. <laughs> I think I mentioned that on an episode a few a few weeks back, maybe when we did Temple of Doom, that it would be great to see that world continue, just yeah. not with Harrison. I mean, it could be done. Uh, I'm actually going to go with another uh, action franchise. And then if you guys have honorable mentions, we'll run through those. But uh, I'm going to go with John Wick. Uh, and not because of your guys' problem. I don't think Keanu's ruining those films. But I think the expansive world of the Continental, uh, what that means for the hits and what that looks like around the world could be ever expanded. And you shouldn't be limited just by your actor once he gets older. They could tell prequel films with John Wick. They could continue that for years. And just it could be like the next Bond. And it just depends on who you cast next. Just an interesting question. Did you, when going through this, this question, did you have difficulty even thinking of an answer outside of the action genre? Um, maybe a little bit, yeah, because I kind of think of formulas and how well those play. Indiana Jones is very much an action or an adventure serial formula, much like Bond is espionage formula. Jason Bourne also kind of came to mind a little bit. I don't know how many post Robert Ludlum books they wrote, but there's like 30 born books that they could make into movies. Here was an obvious answer. The problem is they tried it once and uh, didn't do so hot when they did move away from that. I don't Damon, think it, so. I don't think it made, uh, it didn't make money, but I didn't think that one was bad. The born legacy with, with Jeremy Renner. And, and to be honest too, there's been plenty of hits or misses within the bond franchise too. It's oh, yeah. not a, uh, there's a lot of misses. There's a lot of misses. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so it's it's not to say that should deter them. I, I think that's another tried and true formula. I did think you were going to say Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. That's That was my initial answer. And, and I had never thought of it as a recurring character until you mentioned it on the Temple of Doom episode. And I was thinking, you know, it's so different from a lot of other action mm-hmm. adventures, this historic piece of those films. Why let that story die with um, Harrison Ford? Um, not that Harrison Ford's passing away, but he's getting older. He so. doesn't even want to make he those movies anymore. Make so why are you forcing him to? But just think of all the trinkets he could go looking for 
so many different stories. And I, I do think there's an element of once you break that attachment to one actor, you can pump out more stories, oh. more films, whereas they will eventually reboot it, but it's going to receive negative feedback because it's going to be a reboot and not a continuation of the story. So To bring it back to Bond, that's what happened when Connery left. They brought Lazenby in. He wasn't really well received, and then he didn't really like doing it, so he bailed after one film. It's a pretty good film on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Then Connery comes back and is in arguably the worst Bond films of the batch called Diamonds Are Forever. And then people got used to Roger Moore for a long period of time. So it's possible. Absolutely. What about some honorable mentions? Any Anything Anything else? Uh, my honorable mention was one was Indiana Jones. Uh, two was Wolverine slash Logan. Mm. Especially, it's going to happen. Especially with the ending of Logan. Yeah. Uh, you could easily easily recast Wolverine and honestly all of the X-Men, which they have done in in various uh, successes. And they're going to get recast again now that they're part of the Disney machine now. So Yeah, exactly, exactly. Good choice. No more for me. That was that was my, my two big Those ones, your two Indiana big... Jones and John McClane. Gotcha. I had one more. Uh, it was Lethal Weapon with uh, Riggs and Murtaugh played by Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. I don't think that those... They're good in those parts, but I think if you got two other people in there to do the buddy cop thing, um, just cast well, I think could be good. And I know they did in a TV show that wasn't amazing, but um, just think of all the adventures you get in as buddy cops, drugs, you know, racketeering or what, <laughs> just so many different things. That's an interesting idea. You'd be making it even harder to avoid the misses because you need to hit on both castings, though, since that's yeah, your partner you're, adventure there. So Yeah, the chemistry has to be absolutely on point, but... Guys, I love your I love your 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 choices. I hope that some of these franchises choose to go that route. Otherwise, they're going to be either a casting an old actor that has no business still playing the part, or they're just going to let the franchise die when there's so much left to be told. It's not what happened with Bond. Here we are, film twenty five. Let's dive right in. This is the first warning, everyone. I'm going to have a couple throughout the episode. You can listen as you can listen the whole thing if you want. I don't care. You can live your own life. Spoilers, in effect, we are going to spoil every secret uh, twist and turn that this has to offer, especially in the last 30 minutes. If you haven't seen it, stop, pause, go watch the film, um, and then come back and listen to us. But let's dive right into our review breakdown of No Time to Die. We on the No Time to Die title song by Billy Eilish. Eilish? Eilish? Eilish. Okay, thank you. <laughs> That's what I hear anyway. I'm not a big fan of her music. This particular song, though, I I really enjoy this song. Uh, the first time I saw the film, I wasn't big on it because I didn't listen to it when it got released. But when I rewatched it, mm-hmm. I I decided, you know, it's a lot better. Especially with the horns in the background and the strings. Yeah, it's a lot mellower compared to some of the the last. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, it was kind of meh for me. Um, I didn't dislike it. I didn't love it. And I think the reason I didn't like it more, I liked the mellow feel, but it didn't go anywhere. Um, 
you know, those credits roll for a while and it kind of just felt mm. like the song petered out, which is probably why I didn't enjoy it more. Yeah, I think, you know, they're going for a haunting Bond melody, more dour, more melancholy, and that's going to very much echo the film we're about to dive into. I don't know where I stand on it either. Uh, when I, I heard it when it came out, and I was like, yeah, it's okay. Like, I want a little bit more tempo. Coming off of Skyfall and Writings on the Wall, which is bombastic, you know, classic Bond, this is kind of a little bit, but I, I do like it a little bit more than Chris Cornell and whatever the hell Jack White and Alicia Keys are doing in Quantum of Solace. So. I, I think I liked it more the second time I saw the movie, though, because it does match the movie pretty well, mm-hmm. or at least the, the tone they're trying to give throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. So once you've seen the movie, you can tell the match. Sure, You can yeah. see it better, see the parallels better. So I think that's why it elevated a little the second time I saw this. Okay, excellent. Saw this movie. Well, let's start here at the beginning, you know, with Casino Royale and Quantum and Skyfall. They're like still building the character. He's still origining himself to become the Bond that we're familiar with. Here, he's well-established. So we get our gun barrel to start us out. This is I'm always excited to see the gun barrel. And, you know, it, it took me a while, you know, in my Bond viewings to kind of figure out what that was. And that's a guy that's got Bond in his sights, and Bond just shoots this guy dead cold. So uh, we fade right in through the gun barrel to to Norway, and we pick up with some characters that we met previously in Spectre. First of all, do you guys think Spectre's required viewing going into this film? It kind of became required viewing, and I'm going to have some comments later on how they've definitely tried to connect these Bond films to, I think, various levels of success or failure, Mm -hmm. and and I definitely have some thoughts that will um, come out as we get through the movie, but I I did end up feeling like Spectre was was almost required. I went back and watched Spectre after because I felt like I was missing some things by not having seen it before the film. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say it's not necessarily required, but it definitely helps. Absolutely. Uh, well, it's it. He, he brought it up too. Just the interconnectivity of Craig's films, which compared to Connery and Roger Moore, they were just like one-offs. He was just the adventure of the week and the women of the week and the villain of the week, and then he's done and he saves the world. You know what I mean? Here, everything's so twisty and turny, and it leads into each other. I kind of like that a, a little bit. Uh, I watched. I did all the Craig's before seeing this, so maybe that's why I was so in an emotional flux at the end of this thing because it felt like it was definitely ending, and obviously so when we get there. But we pick up with young Madeline Swan. This is Leia Sado. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I butchered that a few times before hitting record. Uh, And, you know... Playing, you know, a Tamagotchi, you know, some ninety. You remember the Tamagotchi from the nineties? This forgotten toy, from 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 that era. And who knew how important her dad, Mister White, would be in these films? You know, he's the guy that leads Le Chiffre to, you know, the arms. He like sets up that deal in Casino Royale. He's there to collect the money at the well, end. When and and that's why I think Casino Royale is required. To watch this for movie. this one uh one for mr white mm-hmm. two for felix Leiter. yeah uh those are the main ones obviously vesper uh when he visits her grave as well yeah. so so casino royale is pretty important to the viewing scheme as well the fingerprints of mr white though you know here he is off on a specter mission <laughs> 
whatever whatever that is. And here comes one of his non-hits, I guess, didn't complete the job fully. Rami Malek's uh, Lucifer Safin. Safin? Safin, correct. Not Safran. <laughs> Safin. He comes in looking like hell with his, like, kabuki mask. And, you know, he wants revenge. I mean, this is very much a film of revenge. And once we get into the villain plot, you guys are going to have to help me out because it's not a Bond film without a needlessly complicated villain plot and what he's after. But it's just simple revenge here at the beginning. He shoots up the mom. He's going to shoot up her. And we get to see young little Madeline kind of fight for herself. We see the skills that are there when they're needed. And then that chase across the ice. What do you guys think? We're going to get into the traditional Bond opening in a few minutes here. But what do you kind of think of starting out starting out this way? I really enjoyed it. Uh, one, it's a little different from the formula we're used to. Uh, we're kind of used to just a mission that precludes, you know, the the major plot yeah. of the of the movie. And most times uh, that opening action bit has nothing to do with the rest of the film. Exactly. And I like how it introduces it introduces us to the villain immediately. That is uh, nice. Yeah. The guy who ends up being the villain. We don't find that out immediately. Either. We don't meet Javier Bardem until like an hour into Skyfall. <laughs> but uh I do like I do like this scene. Mm-hmm. I think it it provides good layering to Madeline, mm-hmm. uh, which even though Spectre, she's in a large portion of Spectre, you don't get much of a character build. I think it's proving that she matters big time. Uh, she matters big time in this uh, in this next next sequel uh, and her relationship with Bond specifically, and then the past that she's very hesitant to reveal to Bond. What about I, you? I guess. Going back to your is Spectre required viewing? If you haven't seen Spectre, you don't know who the hell this character is. You don't is. even know what we're doing here in the beginning. Who is Madeline Swan? <laughs> Why does she matter? Um, so I guess I'll be the Bond uh, champion of the formulaic. Part of what I've loved about the Daniel Craig films has been the action sequences to open. Mm-hmm. You guys talked about the one in Casino Royale, which so is good. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the other one, though Spectre is not as good of a movie, the opening in Spectre is oh, in almost City? equally good. The uh, Day of the Dead uh, celebration in Mexico City with an incredible good. helicopter action sequence. Good stuff, yeah. Um, and so it was different. It was kind of, I, I was caught off guard by not going straight into something, mm-hmm. and I was wondering what the point of what we were watching was actually going to be. We did get into an action sequence. It felt like a very long pre-credits scene. Did it had you to be, it? I should have, it, it had to be at least maybe 18 to 20 minutes. Like because it's, it's, it's effectively two whole scenes mm-hmm. in its entirety with an action sequence. So uh, different, I good, but I, I kind of wanted the, the old standby action sequence to start. We're, we're going to get it. Why do you think he saves her when, when, when she falls in the ice there and she's dead to rights? And if his plot for revenge is to deprive Mr. White of his familial ties, what is it that, you know, makes him go back? Does Lucifer Safin, creepy-ass Rami Malek, we're going to talk about him later because I, I, I would not I would not want to be in a room with him, the actor or this character. Uh, why does he save her? I mean, is the, the shred of humanity. So my take on that was, and it doesn't come across because it's Rami Malek playing 
both this young version of his character and the older one later. Um, but in theory, he's pretty young in this scene. And I kind of viewed it as just internal conflict. He can't go full. I'm going to kill a child in this scene. And I got a little nervous because he starts shooting the ice and it's not incredibly clear that he's not shooting her. And I, that's one of those things where if you had killed her off the bat, it's not clear it's Madeline Swan sure. yet. If you kill a kid right off the bat yeah, of the he, movie, that's that's hard to come back from. Not redeemable, and I don't think he's redeemable later much either. But yeah, he's firing blindly through his kabuki mask. I don't think he can see very well through that thing. Uh, what about you? He vaguely, uh, Rami Malek's character, mm-hmm. vaguely talks about it in a later scene with Madeline, you know, after she's grown up and stuff. And I think it's, so the story is Mr. White, Madeline's father, Mm -hmm. kills Safin's entire family, except for him. Yeah. The way I understood it, he's the youngest child of them. What does he do? He blasts them with dioxin? Isn't that the gas that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan got gas with in The Phantom Menace? (laughs) How do you and remember they had, that? They had to hold their breath. It's, it's effective. It's effective. <laughs> anyway, they're getting blasted with the same gas in, the, in that, in this thing. Remembering stuff from Phantom Menace. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. Coming soon to Rye Smile one of these days. And you, you guys are coming back because we'll bring the Star Wars people back for that. <laughs> but uh, I think, like I said, he briefly touches on the fact that he kind of sees himself as Madeline in that situation. Mm-hmm. Where he sees a child Good, who yeah. just lost their parents, Absolutely, or yeah. at least the parent directly with them at yeah. the time, helpless. Yeah. So, so I think that's why he ultimately chooses to save her. And then I think just I guess leaves her because once she sees the mask later in the therapy session, she's shocked by like the reveal that it, this is him. So I don't think he like takes her anywhere, or does anything with her. He just like saves her and then takes off. But then we smash cut to present day. Bond and Madeline swimming here. We're in Italy. Daniel Craig, how old is is he? Like fifty five? I think he's fifty two. He's above fifty. I don't know his exact age. I think he was fifty two when they were filming. Yeah, I think he's like fifty four now. Yeah, looking great. I mean, like he's just like still doing the shirtless scenes. Like to him, I'll never look that good. So, (laughs) Uh, but I really like their relationship together. And going back to your. Yes, Spectre is required viewing. You see that relationship begin, and you see it grow here, and they are very much into each other. Bond has given up the MI6 life just to be with her. They're just riding Bond's pension, traveling traveling the world now. No one, We're not going to know what they're going to do. But something interesting happens here. They go to, uh, what is this city? Matera? Matera in Italy? Beautiful location. I don't think I've ever seen this in any photos or anything. A perfect Bond locale. Uh, and they're, you know, providing a festival to get rid of the monkey off your back, secrets, anything holding you back, and they're burning them into ethers. And what we find out is Madeline's Bob brought Bond back to this place so he can say an official goodbye to Vesper Lind. She's buried here. That way they can bury that past. She'll confess her past, and then they can go live happily ever after. This is, we've never seen this with Bond before. Like I said, Bond has like three women's a film. I think I said in the last one, he has like a nine some 
in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, like I think you added one from last okay. week. Okay. Last week's. There might be another one <laughs> snuck in from just the last week. It's going to be a 10 some next week. He, this doesn't happen where he's this much invested in, in someone where he's willing to give it, give it all up. Like, how does their relationship kind of work for you? Is this refreshing to see in a Bond film or do you want to just get back to the formula? I personally like it. One, as I said, and at the very beginning, Daniel Craig is James Bond for me. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been nice to see him go on this human journey. Like if you watch some of the the earlier, especially Sean Connery ones, he's he's so abstract in a sense. Yeah. Like feels no emotion, but is yet super suave with everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, has no problem killing anybody and everybody, which he still does in a, some effect with the Daniel Craig. But you go from Casino Royale, which introduced Vesper Lynn who is the original woman mm-hmm. he's willing to give up this secret agent life for. Uh, to bring it back kind of full circle to that he's still looking for that woman to to ultimately end his life. Because if he stays a secret agent, the end of his life is going to be, you know, probably death at some point from a mission. Yeah, what does uh, M tell Bond and Casarel? Or he tells her, what I understand, the blows have a very short life expectancy. Exactly. Yeah, so, so so he, it gives him a more human side in that he's looking at life after being a secret agent. Yeah, I think this is the update with the Daniel Craig era. And I, I think the producers rightly saw that they needed to update aspects of the, the films, right? The yeah. women's roles in the film needed an update um and got that gradually over the the era of daniel craig and you see that in two serious relationships now in five films i do think that your investment in this movie is probably tied directly to how much you buy this relationship with madeline swan absolutely because i personally thought they played well on screen i do like Leia Seydoux as <laughs> an actress. Yeah. I thought she has done very well, but I didn't buy that relationship at the end of Spectre. So to then jump into, oh, we're super serious, I'm retiring with her, is a big jump. And if you don't make that jump with the film, then I think you're going to start to have problems. And I do think there's legitimate comparisons to be made. He's still hung up on Vesper Lind, which they've kind of claimed as his one true love almost, if you go through the psychology of it, would you expect him to get into the same long-term relationship with another woman? Well, I think that's what's been interesting about Vesper is it was a woman that scorned him, betrayed him, and why would he commit to anyone to then go, therefore go through through that same betrayal again? It's, it's about to happen in about 15 minutes. But uh, no, I think it's... I didn't buy it, Inspector. Like, the fact that they were going to end that film... That was going to be Craig's last film. Thank goodness they came back for one more to kind of wrap it all up. But I didn't buy it in that one. Here I kind of do. And I think it's because she is very sympathetic to wanting him to bury the hatchet of the past. That way we can have some sort of future. But we've already established the horrors of her past are going to come back to bite everyone in the ass. So I'm buying it a little bit more here. And it's going to improve as the film goes on. I don't know if it is for you, but we'll we'll get there. And the other thing to think about which is why I guess I have no problem taking the leap that they do 
for the relationship. Yeah. Uh, is even though it's only five movies, so it doesn't feel like it's been a long time, Casino Royale is technically a prequel yeah, yeah. to you know his first mission as a double O. Mm-hmm. So when you think about that, it's probably been, what, 15 years minimum, maybe even 20, to Vesper Lynn's death well, to what, this new relationship with Madeline. Well, what, just a, one kind of geeky thing, I guess, uh, what, that I want to know because... Casino and Quantum are back-to-back. Those stories happen immediately after each other. In between Quantum and Skyfall, I think a considerable amount of time has passed where Bond has gone on several missions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. I think he's been doing this a, a long a long time. And then in between Skyfall and Spectre, I think another big chunk of time has passed. But I, I tried to watch this, you know, the second time when uh, we saw it. Uh what she writes on her paper that she burns, what's the secret? I think it's in French, but I think it said mask or something, that something of that, of the opening scene that she was letting go. Do you guys have any insight? I didn't catch that, yeah. so that would make sense. They did keep referring to her secret that she wasn't telling uh, Bond, and to me it never played out over the film, so maybe that's part of it. If her secret is the mask, she's still thinking about that incident. That incident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't know if it plays as part of the plot, if that is what it is. Because they, Spectre can't be the secret. Her dad can't be the secret because they unveiled all of that in the last yeah, film. Yeah, it, it was unclear to me going through. They kept referencing the secret like she was the key to everything, and that never ends up playing out to me. But it would make sense if that's that's what she wrote. So Bond goes up to Vesper's tomb, the Lind family tomb here on the hill, and this begins the, I think, really great performance by Daniel Craig in this film, which is him, you know, Bond gets to talk a lot. It's like you mentioned Connery, just he's one note, he's suave, he's this, but it's kind of all the same. Craig goes through like a lot of different things throughout this film. I think it's a really good performance by him. But when he says, I miss you, and we're like, oh God, like is you're supposed to put it to bed here. And then his little paper says, forgive me for harboring such a grudge for you for so long. And he's ready to put it to bed. Him and Madeline are going to go get in the DB5, and they're going to go down to, or they're going to go to to Malta next or somewhere and continue on this romantic honeymoon of sorts. Boom. Spectre greeting card. They brought some flowers to the tomb, and this thing just goes up. This, this kind of scared me a bit when it happened. I was like, oh, my God. And then they do a cool thing with the sound where the sound's all muffled like an actual explosion, and Spectre's here. They're looking for him, and his natural instinct is she brought him here. I mean, why would not a, a daughter of Spectre, you know, be in cahoots with them still? What did you guys think of? Okay, now we're in the action bit. What do you guys think of this? The one thing that really stuck out in the opening is when he jumps over that bridge with that cable and is swinging. I was like, first of all, I don't think I'd be able to hold on when the slack gave. And then I bashed my brains in on the wall next to it. Really impressive. I, and everything looks fairly practical. I'll, I'll, not a lot of CGI in there. Yeah, this was a good scene. It just came later than typical for Bond movies. It did kind of showcase that Daniel Craig brute force. I think he grabs the cable and then just like smashes into the bridge, which is so similar to how he's kind of characterized the character, which I appreciate. It seems more realistic than someone that would actually be able to navigate that situation. So it, it it was a, it was a good saying that the sound putting you in his shoes after the explosion, I Mm -hmm. thought was a good effect. Yeah. I really enjoyed 
one, it shows the quick thinking of Bond. Like, he starts by diving behind a little stone to, I would to never, have that hot car hop over I would him, never have time to think of that. It's yeah. super cool, yeah. and he does it in a split second. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the cable, I like, I like that, like Blake said, it's the brute force that he showed in the parkour scene in Casino Royale. That's why like, we like him as Bond. He's, he's not going to be graceful. He's going to smash against the wall. Yeah. and Not graceful. Almost, That's exactly what Almost it is. break his leg after falling. Connery's but graceful. But he's going to survive. Like, he's going to get the job done. The only time I think Connery ever broke a sweat was when Goldfinger had him strapped with the laser. was going to slit him up the middle. <laughs> Uh, so then he gets Madeline, and he's like, what the hell? And he is D-O-N-E with her at this point. He's like, we're getting out of here. I'm putting you on a train, and this relationship is over because you've done me like Vesper just did me. And then we get this. I don't think the DB5, and Aston Martin from 1964, was meant to drift the way this car is able to drift through the streets of uh, Mateta. But, oh, my God, it's great driving stunt work. And then they kind of end up bottlenecked in, a, in a, like, a town square. And I thought this was really interesting. They're surrounded by the Blofeld's eye guy and all these people. And then he just comes in with a shotgun and is just blowing, like, the window, waiting for it to just give away. I love how they showed it. And you can kind of almost see it, like, start to give. Bond, I think, at this point is, I'm going to let her die. I'm going to let me die. Because screw it, like, like why? why? Why go through this life again? Did you guys kind of get the same vibe that he was... Yeah, wi- he, wi- he's considering giving up here, and I think it's half that, and it's half almost an interrogation of Madeline. Mm. Make her sit there through this mm. and sweat it out and see what her true intentions are. And I think you do see she's truly terrified. She truly doesn't know what's going on. Um, and he probably even sees that a little bit, but he's never going to be able to bring himself... To fully trust her. Sure. So that's why he doesn't kill her or yeah. just like let them come. I think he's convinced when he eventually takes all those guys out that, yeah, she didn't truly betray me, but I still can't mm-hmm. move forward with her. So I, I really enjoyed this scene. I enjoy the, the just stoic nature of bond in the car as mm-hmm. madeline is just in pure panic he, mode yeah he's just sitting there going any second now he's like yeah. it's gonna come through it's gonna happen i just gotta wait and this window will break eventually he'll he'll get here and in a very uh, classic you know gold finger you know the car has you know caltrops underneath that shoot out some tires it has smoke it has machine guns this thing was badass they get out of there some more drifting through the streets puts her on a train and it was like and she says, this kind of broke my heart a little bit. It's beginning of getting emotional for this episode. And she's like, when will I know you're okay? He's like, you won't. You're never going to see me again. I'm like, oh, my God. He did all this work, gave up MI6 for this woman, and now it's done. He's in the same boat with Vesper as he is with Madeline as he was with Vesper. The chase scene is ultimately what makes me buy in because you and I both said we didn't buy into this relationship, Inspector. Mm-hmm. But I think seeing her helpless in this situation, trying to fall in love with a assassin you know comes with problems and this is one of them and and i think her vulnerability in this scene truly like out this is all out of her control right and i think bond eventually probably does trust her but he decides he needs to leave her anyways that does get that relationship 
to a point where I can buy in in this movie, yeah. um, despite having my qualms with it. Yeah, I feel kind of real torn up about it. What about what about you, Brett? Well, and then I I like this scene because right before Vaughn puts her on the train, she says, she asks him, "Is this it?" Mm-hmm. And he says, "Yeah, this is it." So she. I mean, knowing the life of an assassin, having a father who was a specter assassin, she knows that, you know, there may be an end, not at the, you know, happily ever after bit. It could be, it could be over in the blink of an eye Mm -hmm. uh, with some event like this. So even though she is heartbroken, she's vulnerable in this situation. She understands what this relationship was and, knows what it could have been and knows what she wants, but she knows what it is. And ultimately she's in a relationship with an assassin. So at any point in time, yeah, yeah it could be over. She knows the specter game. So, so all she had to say was, is this it? And once he says, yes, she doesn't try to fight it. Yeah. She's just like, okay, it's over. Uh, so get- I like that little exchange between them too. Excellent. We get our opening titles finally. Twenty, it's got to be twenty minutes in. It was a long little opening scene here. Then we pull an Avengers Endgame, and we go five years later. I didn't see this coming. That caught me way off guard when so, it just was five years later. Was not expected. So when I see the the superimposition come up, and I'm like, okay, wow, okay. So Bond's just been doing his own thing for five years, not with MI6, obviously. Madeline's doing her thing. We're getting in late in the game. All right, here we go. Uh, this MI6 scientist, his name's Valdo Orbachev, uh, is contacted by these guys that are scaling the building. These are Safran's men, uh, and what they're stealing is a bioweapon. We're going to find out it's a... No, na- they're Spectre's men. They're, they're getting sp- the bioweapon to kill... Bond, I think. Okay, okay. No, 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 you're he's right. You're right. Sa- he's Safin's oh. man. Hang on. Yeah, you're but right. They're Spectre's men. Spectre's men with Blofeld's eyeball guy. And uh yeah, it's it's Safran's men, and they're gonna they're gonna do a, a switcheroo here. That's not very clear though, you know what I mean? This yeah. kind of when he gets the phone call, you kind of think you get they're gonna come in, you're gonna let them take you, and he kind of runs them through the thing. So you kind of think they're working. That's why I kind of thought. But you're right. Those are Spectre's men that are, want to use this weapon to kill James Bond. They're enemy number one. What do you guys think of, uh, first of all, Valdo Obrachev is like one notch away from becoming Borat. I was waiting for him to go like, very nice. And I was like, <laughs> so the, 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 the displaced humor in here is, I guess, nice because we've been so dour for the last 20 minutes. There, there are going to be a few scenes in here with humor. His character is one of them. It does appear a bit misplaced because you know they're like killing the other scientists and stuff and he's still cracking jokes for the audience a bit um yeah i didn't i don't think i fully caught that that safin is the one that calls him to let specter i think specter calls i didn't get this till the second viewing also so he as far as specter knows he is fully employed by specter as this double cross scientist mm-hmm. on the MI6 payroll. Spectre does not know that he's already working for Safin yeah. and his great scheme 
to be unfolded in Cuba. To your point, yeah, complicated villains. No, no, no. It's it's the beginning of the complications, and because I thought I was like Saffron's an agent of Spectre now in between the opening and and this, but why if they killed his family? Uh, but they they kidnap him, they take the weapon, and they that kind of crazy magnet down the elevator shoot thing. The first complication, this weapon is called Heracles. They should just call it Hercules. Heracles, and it's a nanobot weapon that targets DNA strands in individuals. So if you wanted, if, if they wanted to use it against me, they could type in a code, steal my DNA, and then use it to only target me, even though you guys were infected. You brought it to me, and you guys will be fine. Uh, kind of a unique little weapon. At least it wasn't just like a, a chemical. It wasn't a nuke. It wasn't like a space thing. I think it's a, a different, unique, global Bond villain weapon that we haven't really seen before. And it's not ridiculous like others. Well, and the thing I appreciated about this, this weapon uh, is... So it was developed, part of the big thing that gets oh, Bond God. back into the game is that it was developed by MI6. Yeah, you're going to talk about M. <laughs> so M's explanation of it, I actually really appreciate. Isn't, it the, is, about, isn't it the Tony Stark-like Ultron yes, thing? Yes, it's very yes. much the same yes. idea. A deterrent so we can save lives before the conflicts happen. Which is very much in line with the theme of Spectre, for sure, and even a bit of Skyfall of well, we need to do these things to protect the country, to uh, protect the world sort of thing. So you convince yourself that something that could be used for evil is being used only for good and that it's, it's worthwhile. Well, and that's so. something ultim- ultimately evil, even u- if used for good, is still an evil thing. Yeah. Is somet- somehow justified. Yeah. So I did find it interesting. This is a bioweapon. I think they mentioned smallpox of, I think they're researching weaponized smallpox in that that scene where they get um uh steal a weapon weird to me i don't know if it hit you guys for it to be a kind of biological um i thought it was infection i thought it was gonna covid i thought it was gonna get a little covidy but nanobots is more like machinery molecular level compared to what covid is so but but it's interesting because they filmed it before any of this no that's yeah it was if it was filmed in 2019 it was before anyone knew about covid and and it's in the film that was delayed by covid like four times i saw a very interesting theory i don't know if it's true or not but that they added the nanobots after the fact in order to separate it from reality well i would believe that that's just a theory no actual info to say that they didn't want it to be too close well and in the end I don't buy it because they they talk about it. It's in there too they, much, I think. They didn't reshoot all of those Sure, scenes. okay, that's a good so, point. So I don't buy that theory, but it is it's believable to an extent. What do you guys think of... Okay, so we've had Judy Dench's M from GoldenEye up until Skyfall when she dies. Uh, what do you guys think of Ray Fiennes' Mallory M.? The second he showed up in Skyfall, I like had a distrust of that guy. And then Inspector, I was like, this guy's shady, kind of shifty. I know he's Bond's boss, but I kind of don't. And then here, he comes in with this secretly. I love how Money Penny comes in the office and he's like taking a nap on the thing. And she's like, sir, a report's coming in for the... I know, I've already seen it. And then he like turns his TV on real quick. Like, I was like... <laughs> 
He knows about it. He's so shady. Do you guys trust Ray Fiennes M at all? No, and that's the <laughs> point. Bond doesn't trust him either, and it makes sense. Anyone that comes after Judy Dench's M is not going to be trusted, so they might as well have gone, and they've gone full in with the theme of, yeah, he's, he's not quite uh, the same. Uh, we don't quite trust him. Um, and he has plenty of actions where he kind of shows that he maybe shouldn't be trusted. He's not outright bad. He just is he has less a, clear motivation. He, he's not bad. His judgment is poor. Okay, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so he created this weapon. Now we got to find this missing scientist because this weapon in the wrong hands uh, is troublesome. But like you're going for the... I want to say Remington. That's not right. Heritage. Heritage. Uh, rye whiskey in vanilla uh, aged casks. It's, it's a different taste for a rye whiskey that you're about to have there. Sorry, did I skip over to the second bottle too soon? I was no, trying no, to mix it up. No, we're gonna we're gonna transition there. We're gonna need the second bottle. But let's 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 go to Cuba. We catch up with Bond, just fishing his life away in his little. He's kind of living a good life. I mean, he's got like a cool bachelor pad. He gets not to, Cuba, Jamaica. I think this is technically Jamaica. We're going to Cuba later, though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. right. Uh yeah, he gets to shower outside. He's got like a shower in the jungle or something. And here comes an old friend. It's why uh, Brett said he needed to watch Casino Royale prior. Enter Jeffrey Wright's Felix Leiter again uh, with another CIA mission. Bond, I know your skills. I know your skill set. We need your help finding this guy. It's kind of tied to like your past life. You willing to help us out, the, the CIA guys? What's the blonde Logan Ash? Was he the guy from Game Night? He was yeah. from Game Night. Okay. And he's a real goofy guy in Game Night. And he's kind of goofy in his yeah. introduction here. Hard to take seriously. Did you guys like that joke? Didn't they call the him Book like, of Mormon. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, we'll get to it a bit later in the in the breakdown. Uh his character does end up being a bit pointless mm-hmm. all said and done. He serves a very specific role in, in a scene he, or two, but his role could have been played by, or he didn't need to be in it at, at this point, but he's kind of like the specter eyeball guy. He's kind of a, just another henchman guy. Yeah, it, at the end, they, they spend a fair amount of time on him when he, he really doesn't end up nattering. Um I do enjoy the fact that the CIA is recruiting him because that distrust of M has led Bond to having a distrust in his own government to the point where he'll work mm-hmm. potentially for another government. And even within the CIA, Felix has this guy that's been appointed that he doesn't trust either. So it's like the old guard yeah. dealing with all these new pieces of bureaucracy that well, they just don't yeah. align with anymore. That's and, so good. and in a sense... Bond doesn't even end up accepting this mission because the CIA asked him. It's because Felix Leiter is, you know, his best friend. It's if, it's if not, you can have, it's friends. not even because of that. It's because the new 007 oh, shows up. Yeah, the, okay, we're, we're gonna get to that. Uh, you guys are talking about one of my favorite things in the James Bond series is when Bond goes rogue. When he has no rules, he's not answering to any people, and he's just kind of doing. It's license to kill. It's a little bit uh, die another day, uh, like that kind of mentality of a spy doing his own thing uh, is intriguing to me, and I wish this series would tap into it a whole lot more. Uh, and that's kind of Skyfall too. I mean, they tell Bond in Skyfall, don't go after that guy, don't go to Singapore or wherever he go, the, wherever he goes in that, and then he does it anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he he does take M 
kind of on his own in that in mm-hmm. that movie as well. So he has hints of it. He just doesn't do it all the time. So let's talk about this new big thing here. So in the trailers, in the press kind of leading up to it, everyone kind of thought, we're going to meet the new James Bond 007 in this thing. But the film kind of twists it for us a bit. Uh, also here in Jamaica, Cuba, is uh, Nomi, uh, played by Lashana Lynch, and... Bond kind of picks her up in typical Bond fashion. Do you need a lift home? Yeah, as you sabotage your car, he's going to find out. Takes her home. He thinks he's going to go to bed. He pounds that scotch like, I could never do that without vomiting everywhere. Like, he just, well, well then, we're just going to get right to it. And then she reveals that she's an agent of MI6. She's a double O. And it's kind of like a a, a back and forth, kind of mano y mano, trying to prove oneself. Did you... Th- did you think this? Did you think that? And then the final reveal is, I'm 007. What do you think? They'd retire your number after you? What is he like? <laughs> Michael Jordan of MI6? They're just going to retire his... You, you can't retire double O's because you've only got nine of them. So yeah. <laughs> you're not going to last long. So she's taken his number. And that's kind of a, to what you said. He doesn't take the mission. I think he takes the mission because he's a little bit spurned yeah. by the young blood. Yes. A little I, pissed off. That's little why he off. takes it. Because he rebuffs... Felix in the bar and goes home with, unbeknownst to him, the his replacement. Well, um, she's acting as a local. And is it unbeknownst to him though? Like, does he figure it out by the time they get to his house? No, I don't think he figures it out until she takes the hair off. Okay, okay. Like per- I could buy that. Yeah, I I like this Bond though. This is a Bond that he's petty. He like wants to prove himself. I love movies where like old people like Rocky Balboa. I'm an old yeah. boxer, and I, I still want to prove I have one fight left in me. That's Bond through this whole movie, that he still, he still got it. Well, and I kind of like the play between them. Because yeah, she's, she's petty to an extent as well. Oh, she's like, extremely petty. Everything she says in that interaction in the bedroom is to try to, you know, subtle little jabs. Little jabs. <laughs> <laughs> little jabs. Baby jabs. But, uh, yeah, she's trying to to dig and just send them over the edge a little bit, a little bit. So to everyone about to flip out, oh my God, the new James Bond, relax. She's not the new Bond, but they do prove something that these films have never gone into that I think is refreshing. And it's the double O's are just numbers. Bond is the guy we're watching in these films. So who gives a shit? Like what number you have or what number we're watching the Bond film, so that's what he's really out to prove. He's really out to prove he still has one good bullet left in the chamber. And then it gets personal for him as we move on. <laughs> Let's cut to Cuba. He's taking the mission. They're going to get this guy. He, it's in a Spectre den. Somehow, very poorly on Spectre's part, they've all gathered for a birthday Blofeld celebration. And their grand scheme is to use the weapon, uh, Heracles against him, target his Bond's DNA strand and uh, wipe out wipe out their number one enemy. Uh, so the plan is still to get the scientists. What do you guys think of Ana de Armas' character, Paloma? I thought this was also refreshing. Here we have a CIA counterpart agent that's willing to help Bond. She's green. Uh, but what did you kind of... This is like a Knives Out reunion here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Knives Out reunion... This is another updating of of the Bond formula. She was portrayed in the trailers as the Bond girl. She's not really that. She's really just a 
a coworker, yeah, <laughs> in a way. And this is the only scene she's and in. And she's not in much. Uh, this is my favorite sequence in the whole film. Hmm. Um, I think she's fabulous in it. The way she plays plays dumb a little bit at the beginning. Oh, I've only had three weeks of training. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. And it becomes very clear that she's much more advanced. Than very she proficient. Was. Yeah. Very proficient. Um, just it, it's real funny. It's light. The action sequence that comes next is very impressive. This is the quintessential bond all mm-hmm. happening in one film. And, and we alluded to how dark uh, the rest of the film is. This little sequence doesn't feel like that. And I do enjoy the fact that it is just a bit of fun, even amongst the, the specter plotting that's, yeah. that's going on in the middle of it. Uh, so what we, what we kind of get is our scientist Valdo Orbachev uh, is making a deal with Blofeld's eye henchman guy. They're going to give him the thing to kill Bond, but then he does a switcheroo. He uploads the wrong USB and now we're going to kill all the specter agents. And this makes sense for Saffron. I mean, why would he want to not kill all of Spectre for what they did to his family? So they, cor- I love how they corner Bond in this, and it's this eyeball on this pillow, and that's a little strange. And they're about to wipe him clean, and this gas comes through, and all the Spectre guys just start biting the bullet. And everyone's confused. I think the audience is confused. I was confused. But then we get right into Blake's favorite part of the movie, which is this action bit. And can I tell you my favorite part? Like, I I like little just touches here. This is why this film I thought was fairly unique. Bond falls through, like, some glass roof, lands on the bar, shaken up. Paloma's killed, like, six or seven people or knocked them out. Bond goes up to the bar, gets a bottle of tequila, pours themselves a shot. He says, what'd you say your training was? Three weeks? Pours themselves. They do a shot, salute, and then we just keep going. Love it. I love that touch. Like, it's... That part did crack me up, too, because they, they had martinis right before the whole sequence mm-hmm. begins. And it's like, Ana de Armas must be tiny, right? Could mm-hmm. you imagine if secret agent version of her is just shooting a martini and then tequila while fighting off be all buzzed. these people? Yeah. I know, you'd get buzzed so fast. That, that part just made me laugh. I just thought, like, in the middle of a literal gunfight, they stop to take a shot, cheers each other, and then just continue on with it. Like, it was, it was brilliant. It just added some fun and levity to a movie that doesn't have a ton of it, too. That's part of why I like this whole sequence. Um, it's it's just kind of quintessential Bond for me. If you, We've moved into the more realistic um, spy in, in the Daniel Craig era, but that kind of harkens back to, similar to the DB5 that we mentioned had mm-hmm. a lot of the old gadgets. There are a few nuggets in this movie that kind of harken back to the older days of Bond that I did enjoy. Well, yeah. and, and this is... At least to me, I, ne- I didn't time it, obviously, but it felt like this was about the conclusion of this Cuba sequence is about the halfway mark in the movie. You thought it was the halfway mark? I th- First of I all, people. time it. It's a long movie. This is almost a three-hour movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of thought the halfway mark was the Blofeld interaction. Yeah, I, I okay. think that's close. Maybe, maybe. But, yeah, it was just fun to get that sense of traditional bond. Yeah. Like, and someone helping him out. I, I, action I, action sequence, drinking in in the middle of it <laughs> just to just to get through it. But yet we're all gonna do our jobs. So good, yeah. Better than anyone else could. I don't know what the plan I know what the plans for the Bond franchise. We're gonna get a new actor, but uh 
I kind of hope they don't let some of these characters go away. I would love to see her come back as like a new Felix or something, helping him on some missions. She was kind of a cool character. So he gets Obachev, taking you to Felix, and then the be- all the double crosses here. Here comes Logan Ash. I'm working for Spectre. And then shoots Felix, fights with Bond, and now they're in the bottom of a boat. He takes Obachev in a plane, and off they go to Spectre? Well, Saffron? <laughs> and I think it's, it's Logan, okay. Logan Ash works for Saffron, yeah. not for Spectre. Hey, see, this is the confusing part of the villain Which plot. is not what I got until the second time I watched so you gotta it. That's, wa- that's why I wanted to watch it twice before I came here. Good of you. You're, After you asked me, you're, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I just watched. You're like, a good, I don't know all the details. I need to go. You're a good guest. Watch it differently. <laughs> uh <laughs> So Felix Leiter is bleeding out on the bottom of this boat. Bond's trying to save the both of them. Did you were you guys kind of shocked that Felix bit the bullet here? Or I kind of thought some people were going to have to die if we're truly wrapping up Craig's storyline. It wasn't surprising. I thought it was. Um, I think this sort of thing needs to happen, uh, both to wrap up Craig's storyline, but also just to give some emotional weight to you know there is some risk for some of these characters. Interestingly enough, this foreshadows more than I think people realize uh, what comes later in the, in the movie. Um, but uh, I thought it had good emotional weight considering Felix and him aren't on the screen a ton in his yeah. era. Like he's featured in a few of the movies, but they don't have a ton of screen time together, but they have this pretty natural kind of brotherly like bond. And, and mm-hmm. so you can see that this is emotional for bond. It's emotional for the audience. I do think it, it plays out well. Well, and I think, like you said, it plays out well, even though you don't know the details of their relationship. Yeah. Like, other than Casino Royale, you see him for, like, I'm ble- what? I'm bleeding um, chips. Um, a minute in <laughs> in Quantum of Solace. Bond, uh, move your ass. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, you, like Blake said, they don't have much screen time, but you realize there's a much, much deeper relationship between Felix and Bond yeah. than you've seen on screen. And I, during his death, there's even some some comical relief. Like like he talks about, I'm being this pro- reminds I'm- me of the shrimp boat back home. Felix, you're from Milwaukee. Oh, oh I thought I made that up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they don't even have their spy story straight. Yeah. yeah. No, it's really good. So Felix dies, and there's going to be some collateral damage in this film going forward. So Bond escapes... He drifts at sea for a day and a uh, maybe a half a day. And then I love this return. So for the Bond nuts out there, the car he drives in this is the V8 Vantage that T-Dalt drove in the living daylight. So I love seeing this car show up again. I kind of wish, I kind of, it may be a missed opportunity that they didn't use that car in that Norway forest chase. And he was just like in a fucking Toyota forerunner in that like kind of a missed opportunity, but bond wants to want answers from him. So what did you guys think of that scene with him and him and the desk bit where he's just like, is that desk bigger? Or is the guy behind it smaller? And then his conclusion is the desk is the same size. The guy is smaller because of all these petty decisions he's been making. What do you guys think of Bond's return to the spy world at this point? It just lets him vocalize what you already knew. He wouldn't have retired for five years and kind of gone off to a tropical island if he had a good working relationship with them. Um, So he kind of gets to come in, air his grievances. 
the thing that's most interesting in this portion of the movie is the alliances that are immediately made. Even him being on five years, there's immediate loyalty from Money Penny sure. in a bit Q mm-hmm. to their former colleague that they still don't have towards M. Um, and so that comes across. Now, obviously, the new 007, Nomi, mm-hmm. uh, is toes the company line. That's M's go-to woman at this yeah. point. For, She's going to go do a strip search of Blofeld here in a second. And, and I'm sure M greatly prefers her, not breaking all the rules constantly, to dealing with the renegade Bond from before. Well, hasn't, so. hasn't Bond been, what is it, insubordinate? All these films. Like, <laughs> when has he ever, like, said, like, yeah, I'll listen to your order? He's, like, always gone, like, under the table. Yeah, even with the the previous M, Judy Dench, uh, he was always against orders. Like, he was... Do you remember... He in, just had a different relationship with her. Do you remember in Quantum of Solace when M sent that girl Strawberry Fields to, like, take him back? Bond has sex with her. He goes to the party he's not supposed to go... Mathis dies, uh, he uses his body as a human shield and then throws him in the trash, and then he ends up in the desert, and then the woman ends up covered in oil, and then Bond still escapes and just defies him's orders. Like, this is the Bond we're dealing with. He doesn't care what governments have to say. He's beating by his own drum, and that's interesting. And that was an M he trusted. Yeah. It's also funny, because you mentioned the lack of trust of Ray Fiennes' um, version of M, um, and... A lot of it comes down to he just isn't giving Bond the same rope that no, Judy Dench's all. version of the character did. Not at all. And so that causes distrust. But if you're in Ray Fine's position, he's completely in the right. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's doing anything wrong. He has every right to say, I have this rogue agent that thinks he's above his boss and, and everything else in the, in this organization, but it, it does lead to an interesting split. You can even see money pennies conflict the second bond shows up. So you're right though. It establishes where the line Alliance lines are drawn. And one of them is Ben Wishaw's Q is always been someone bonds able to, to go to, to get information is it was nice seeing specter because they put like a, a tracking thing in him inspector. And he says, don't let them track me for like a couple days while I go do my thing and then let them know. And then Q ends up just going there and meets him to tell him the gravity of the situation. Q I think is in bonds corner from the get go when they first meet in that museum there. What do you guys think of, of, of Q Q is very capable. He's able to hack into Blofeld's eyeball here in a little bit. Uh, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think of his kind of growth in the, in this film? So one of my favorite sequences, and it's in this middle section of the film where things are a little lighter, where Bond and Moneypenny show up to um, Q's apartment Mm -hmm. um, because they need him to... What are they even going there for? They're trying to recover the file from the USB they got from Orgachev. Yeah. Yeah. And and Bond's essentially going to go peer pressure him into defying his employees' orders. He he almost gives me... A big brother vibe. Like, I'm just going to bully you until you do what I want. Is that how Blake does it? No, Blake can't can't do that. But the traditional big brother vibe where you just bully the younger brother to to do what you need. One thing I did appreciate about this film, though, especially with Q, but I think it really applies to 
the whole gang in a way is is I felt like this bond more than previous ones had a nice crew like this team mm. of cast members that I actually felt invested in and I don't know if it was from this middle section where they were giving them room to uh, kind of have some character and they've appeared in a few films now so when we when we get to the end of this and talk about where bonds going from here I kind of hope they come they back. come back sure. I don't want to lose well, all of that but we'll, we'll see what happens I feel like they 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 portray that they care about each other. They care about each other. They're not just colleagues. And like I, they're legitimate. Like in the end, your colleagues are probably the closest people you have in this line of work. So their colleagues become their friends, you know, kind of become their family. I know this isn't the Sky uh, the Spectre podcast, but I kind of forgot that sequence at the end and they're all in it. Uh, Q and Moneypenny and Tanner, they're like all like in the SUVs trying to get to the broken down MI6. And the, talk about the plot of that movie of this other rogue C who's trying to like wipe out all this uh, another day people. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of a nice kind of little small family here. But it, all the answers lie with Blofeld. We kind of got to get back to him and kind of see what the hell's going on. What's this? And then enter Madeline Swan again, who's the only psychiatrist that's that he'll talk to. These ties to Mr. Wyden, daughter of Spectre and whatnot. And at this point, I imagine every Spectre agent is maybe dead if they were all at that party and all their family members are dead because if they kissed their loved one at the funeral, they all got lesions themselves. But here we get uh, Madeline Swan's reintroduction and she has a new client. And here's Sa- Safin again, uh, ready to reintroduce himself. Uh, man. Rami Malek is like one stage away from looking like a full-on lizard. His skin, like the way he just looks, I just, I can't with that guy. Talented actor, for sure. But like his appearance, especially with his, with his dioxin poisoning, uh, man, this guy gives me like some weird creepy vibes. But if that's the villain of the film, by all means. Well, and... He even gives me those creepy vibes when you're first introduced to him. You actually see him twirling Madeline's hair and storing it away in in his pocket. And even the way he does that is creepy. Now that, upon second viewing, I realized is, you know, pretty critical to later in the yeah. movie. Uh, but even just the way he does that, it's like, what what is this guy doing? Yeah. He's just, ah, shivers. What Shivers. do you what do you think of Safin or maybe Rami Malek in particular? <laughs> I'm going to ask. Let me turn that back around for answer. Okay. What what are your thoughts on on this character? When we get to his island, he becomes quintessential Bond villain lair, Bond villain plot, and I'm okay with all of that. His motivations at the end of the day, I'm so confused by still. Uh, his appearance though looks good and he's got the, he's got that look. I don't know if I love him. If I had to pick a villain, my favorite villains from Craig's era, obviously Lashif, Mads Mikkelsen's amazing. And I think Javier Bardem Silva, I love villain plots where like, it's the spurn guy trying to get revenge from this. And that's kind of this, but it's done better in Skyfall than it is here. This is a bit of a weak link in the film. So this is by far the weakest link in my opinion of the entire film. On multiple levels. I don't think... I know the Bond uh, villain is typically a a complex character in regards to what their motivations are. But after you get through the Spectre bit 
and what continues for Safin doesn't make any sense. And we get, we can chat about that in a little bit, yeah. but I, I don't think they tie all the loose ends together. He's somewhat just there to be a villain. And the, so I'm not a Rami Malik fan. I'll just put that out there. I, I think in my opinion, he's one of the more overrated actors and this is just my opinion. Hot I, takes. He's, he's very well regarded from Mr. Robot and then uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, but yeah. the more roles that he has, the more I, you just like, I think he is playing to him, yeah. the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And he's unique in the way he sounds and, um, appears on screen, but I, I don't know. I just don't see a whole lot of variance there. And this was just another Rami Malik special kind of s- s- low talking, somewhat creepy, yeah. you know, portrayal of a character on screen. I didn't love it, but uh, apparently at the premiere of the film, he went up to uh, Prince William and Princess Kate and said, "Hey, do you guys need a babysitter? Because I'd watch your kids anytime." Like, what the hell, man? Like, you want Rami Malek babysitting your kids? Hard after, pass. After man. watching this movie, yeah, no. <laughs> after just looking at him, yeah. And I, I don't know what he's like as a guy, so I, I don't want to be an asshole. No, I, like know, saying I know. like, oh, I don't like this person. He's not, he's not the person that I, 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 I think he's more highly rated acting wise than than I view it. I would, There's obviously people that feel differently, but and and in the end, the the villain does fall short to me even in this yeah. in this film. Like if this, in this particular scene though, I think oh yeah, he gives good. he gives a good creepy vibe. If this was in this one on one with Madeline. If this was Silva if this was Javier Bardem's that character somehow wheedled into this. Like I like that character was so interesting to me and for a variety he, of ways. He was out of... Maybe especially was, was the his Craig, hair piece. Especially the Craig era. Mm-hmm. I think he was he was the best in the dialogue scenes. Le Chiffre is probably my favorite villain. But just he has from so, the complexities of his story. He has so little power, though. Yeah. He's essentially yeah. a pawn of Spectre. Yeah. That is Quantum. True. So, But we can't say quantum yeah. because of lawsuits. <laughs> Um, but we go interview Blofeld because we want the answers to what he holds. Safin gives Madeline Swan this fragrance. It's the nanobots. And if you go up to Blofeld and touch him, we killed the main bad guy. She's hesitant to do that. Hesitant to meet Bond. They Their interaction's awkward to say the least. And then she gets out of there before the in- interrogation, not before Bond grabs her hands and gets the shit on him. I thought that was kind of... A little overindulged, like the Blofeld prison cell where he like comes very slowly in his cage and then he's got like a thing in that. It had major Magneto vibes from. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, and Blofeld doesn't have. He's just an old guy. Magnetism X, X2 power. Or and he's missing an eye. Uh, but I think Christoph Waltz as Blofeld, I think, is incredible casting. And I think it was maybe not utilized enough in Spectre. Here, I, I kind of like this little scene between him and Bond. This is like classic confrontation showdown to get some sort of answers. And we get the big answer here, which is Madeline didn't betray you in Mateta. I sent the flowers. I tried to blow you up because I don't like you, Bond. You put me here. She still loves you. Like, why would you throw all that away? So that's kind of interesting. Well, and in a sense, not even in a sense, like he's he's telling him these things. To He's already broken Bond, I mean. James Bond is already 
broken at this point. Mm-hmm. He's he's left Madeline on the train, you know, five years ago, given up on that life with with someone he loves. And and Christoph Waltz is is just simply telling him, like, you gave that up because you thought she had something to do with this. Like in the end, I'm getting the last laugh of the, as the evil, you know, the evil doer. Uh, I'm getting the last laugh in the sense that I'm the one who who set that all up. You broke yourself. My little cuckoo. <laughs> yeah, you you broke yourself apart. Like Madeline had nothing to do with that. So he's he's in a in a sense giving himself, you know, some a round of applause in a sense saying i i broke you in the end like it was me i did a lot of damage from here in this cell yeah were you guys shocked when he died when bond goes up die and he like gets him in a chokehold and then like tanner comes in and is like hey we can't interrogate people like that what is this you're playing good cop bad cop here and then they turn and blofeld's just like lesion leper city and he's dead it, it wasn't surprising you could see it coming and it's kind of been the formula in the Daniel Craig era where you continue the thread of the villain. So it happened with Mr. White in mm. Spectre as yeah. well, where he's this kind of villain from previous films and has a brief appearance to provide some important information before he died. And Spectre Blofeld really goes through the exact same process here where he provides some some information that's needed to enlighten what happened in the past and then he serves his purpose and kind of moves on at that point. And even in the end, Spectre as a whole, right? Spectre has been the enemy, even though you couldn't call him Spectre in Casino Royale. Yeah. From the beginning of the Craig series, which you hadn't really seen in any previous Bond. It was always, you know, a standalone new villain in in every iteration, every movie. Uh, that you ever seen in Bond, so, so it's kind of a greater, or I guess a a smaller illustration of Spectre as a whole being the enemy. Let me ask you in th- this entire, yeah. Let me ask five movies. Yeah, series. let me ask you this: if somehow through just switcherooing everything, if it, Rami Malek was like in charge of all this. He tried to sabotage Bond and kill Madeline Swan in the beginning, and it's all this stuff. And then Blofeld, and God, we have to have a breakout scene. But then it's Blofeld in the final sequence. Does that make it better that it's the primo villain compared to Safin, or is like in the layer? Yeah, the is that just too complicated? I, at this? I think that just unnecessarily complicates it. I guess one thing I I have not bought in to the continuation of villainry in this series um, because of the complexity and the changing leader. There's always like one leader above the one you met in the movie prior, Um, but it just makes it hard to, to follow. It's, it's not nicely tied together in a Thanos sort of way where, you know, you're dealing with the real big guy to me. Blofeld doesn't seem any more capable than some of the other ones before. I do like Christoph Waltz. I, I liked him as a single villain in the one movie, but so, I, I didn't. I don't know. That well, might be a bit of a miss for me is that they didn't fully utilize the Blofeld character like they could have with Craig's films. Well, and in the going along those lines, if if Blofeld is the ultimate boss, let's say, of of Spectre, 
going by Spectre, the main reason he he hates Bond and wants all this pain inflicted on him is because he was the adopted son of his okay, uh, of his family. This isn't the Spectre so podcast. I know that. I know that. But that that's is... why that idea of Spectre throughout these whole films concluding with Blofeld yeah. falls apart. That idea inspector ruins that entire movie that they tried to like it's such a it's the Skywalker syndrome that it's such a small spy world that Bond and the head of the biggest anti-spy agency are adopted brothers get out of here. <laughs> and that ultimately is why I think they needed to move on from it. I personally would have probably preferred a world where they just made a no time to die movie that didn't tie to specter at all. I, I think it was a bit of a distraction and overcomplication, but, um, I mean, if, if they're trying to tie it all to the other films, I get it, but I'm with you. Like if this was just the Saf Safin story, it might work a little bit better. It might work a little bit less because we're well, still not clear on what he's that, trying to well, do. That's his in, only motivation. So in, if you remove in that In the part. end, you already said your favorite sequence is Cuba. Like that sequence doesn't happen without Spectre influence in this movie. The Spectre so. killing. <laughs> okay, so let's move to the next scene. So Madeline's last words to Bond were, where are you going? And she's like, I'm going home. So Bond leaves the jail cell here and... Apparently they had a conversation in between their romantic rendezvous in between Spectre and this film where she told them home was this Norway house. He goes there, and I, I think in a very poignant scene where Daniel Craig is able to kind of just lay it... When's a bond, when has a Bond ever just laid it all out in front of him? I gave it all up for you. Like He's like, my biggest regret was putting you on that train. He like really bears his soul to her to the point where like, oh God, they're, they're going to get back together now, are they? And I want them to kind of get back together. I want happiness for Bond. Uh, what'd you guys kind of think of that? And th we're going to get to the big moment here in a second. I'm not going to lie. That, that line that the only moment I regret with you is putting you on that train. That gets me. Yeah. That cuts me deep. I'm not even quite sure why. But it, it does get to me, and and I guess that's part, like I said, at the very beginning of this, this episode, Daniel Craig is my bond. So, so knowing he's gone through this very humanistic journey mm -hmm. to, to say that to someone is just, it, it makes him so much more relatable. And so much more... More dimensional. Human. Yeah. Like, it's, you brought up Connery, and he's often regarded as King Bond. But he is one-dimensional. He's suave. He's sophisticated. Three women a film. Does his action yeah. bits. He's got his one-liners. He's classic. But, like, Craig has nuance. He's got these complex situations he's got to get through. He's got to, like, confess love, be heartbroken, reconfess his love. And yet still go kill people. <laughs> efficiently kill people what about yeah. you yeah i think it just ties back to when he put her on the train he had already done his interrogation with the shotgun and everything sure, yeah. he knew she didn't betray him but he had to do it anyways because he knew he wouldn't be able to have a relationship with her at that time five years have passed i think he knows she didn't do anything this yeah. is why he's reflecting on it i regret doing that mm -hmm. because it didn't have to be done is essentially what he's saying in that scene it's just is important. He's saying, I could have had 
a relationship with you been in love for the last five years and we didn't because I couldn't bring yeah. myself to do that five years ago. So they're about to go at each other on this stairwell right here. But then mommy, I'm hungry. Or like, I don't even remember what she said. This kid shows up and we're just like instantly as a film audience, you got to be like sponge child right there. You know what I mean? Like kind of looks like him. It's the right age range. And then like the film does as much as they can for us here that this is not, she even tells him a couple of times. It's not your child. It's not your child. Well, and even when he puts her on the train, she grabs his stomach. Grabs her oh, stomach. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to Which, bring that up earlier, but spoil. Let's get to it when we get to important it. Yeah. note here too. She says she's not yours. She does not mm-hmm. say it's not your child. It's just that that child was not raised by him. Does not yeah, belong it's, to it's him. It's her oh, daughter. Yeah. It's her daughter. So you're bo- you're the Bond guy. Yeah. Let's ask you okay. what were your thoughts in this scene? Did you believe her when she said it wasn't hers? Because it's very obviously about five-year-old kid uh who else there's no other man and bond or craig never asks if it's her like you just see it in his face like look at her like look at that you can see him dissecting he's piecing look at the age look at the eyes look at the appearance is this my child as the bond fan when she says it's how, how does she say it it's not you she's not yours for a second, I was like, maybe she's right. Maybe she had a fling after the train incident and then had a kid. But then as the film progresses into its climax, it started to creep back in that this is his kid. And I'm immediately thrown into, my God, like, we've never had this question in a Bond film before. Like, Bond's had sex with how many women in these films? No childbearing whatsoever. He could have created four kids and the one ate some or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he could have. Yeah, he could have kids all over the globe at this point. The fact that they're able to stop focus and then introduce this into the thing could ruin a lot of films. But I think here, now we're adding a sixth dimension to Craig's Bond, where now he's a potentially a father figure in the spy world and what's how's he going to react to that well he's going to slice up some apples he's going to be as fatherly as a craig bond can be and then when shit hits the fan when nomi is hot on the trail for logan ash and he's like why did you give her my location and it's like oh boy they're coming after me they get in that toyota forerunner and then they they a very cool chase through like the woods and the tundra how far is Bond willing to go for a maybe child of him? Answer is pretty far. Well, and the thing that confused me even after second viewing on this, are they coming after Bond or are they coming after Madeline? Madeline? They're coming no. after Madeline. Okay. Because Rami Malik. so the second viewing helped me reestablish he wants her. Yeah. He's in love with okay. her. Which okay. is kind of creepy because I'm like, what was she like? Well, it, 10 and what was he like 20 when he like blew her shot minimum, her up minimum okay. so anakin padme situation no he's at, real. he has because <laughs> went later when they have the kind of the quid pro quo scene you can have the kid but madeline stays on the island he wants her forget the kid but this is man we've never had a bond movie ever even touch this subject we're in cool territory right now for me, myself, because so it's I, new and refreshing. 
I will say this. I didn't buy for a second that it wasn't his kid. Yeah, um, yeah. And I didn't catch the specific language used, but I was thinking in the moment, she's just saying it's not his because he hasn't been around to protect her daughter doesn't want her associated with him. And well, I think he knows it. He's in the same boat or he wouldn't do what he well, does. How many, he's already said he regrets putting her on the train. Yeah. Like you get, now you throw a kid in this situation. Like, what is he going to do? They've also drawn a lot of attention towards Daniel Craig's eyes in these films. I mean, the opening credits of Casino Royale are literally a close up of his like steely blues and this baby has them, so it was that nugget that was like, it's kind of, it's kind of be. Is that really in Casino Royale? Don't you remember? The no, open- no, I don't. I don't remember as much attention to his eyes the open- until this movie, and then that was all I was looking. Yeah, at. the opening titles of Casino Royale are like, is like, you know my name, and he's like walking up <laughs> to the camera, and then they like close up on his eyes, and that's the last thing you see before they cut to black, and then we're into the next scene. So. This girl's got steely blue eyes. And then so now I'm in a cool, interesting fan place. So it was like Bond's usually just about protecting the girl that he's like trying to bet at the end of the day. Uh, now he's with a woman that he truly cares about, has maybe his kid. They're in a Toyota 4Runner. How far is Bond willing to go to protect his family now? Man, Bond is efficient at killing people, running them off the road, and then kind of a cool sequence, too, when they get into this forest, and it's like this, like, foggy forest. Man, Bond just, like, rigs up a thing, shoots these people, does away with Logan Ash like nothing. I I love this sequence specifically because... So, so ever since Cuba, pretty much, there hasn't been any secret, secret agent skills on display. Uh, the the most he he messes with a weapon is slicing an apple for for uh You're right. Matilde mm-hmm. right. So this is a perfect illustration of his skills as I'm I'm still a secret agent badass. Like I'm gonna kill all of these henchmen mm-hmm. in the most efficient way possible because they are no match for me. Yeah, whatsoever. And it it's an awesome sequence, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, real impressive action sequence. I thought the forest um, was was a good backdrop, and and like I said before, he he knows it's his kid. That's why he's he's doing what he's doing. I will say this: I made the the point earlier. The Logan Ash henchman sort of thing. Yeah, he shows just, up again. He shows up again here, and. It's one of those scenes unnecessary. where they unnecessary. unnecessary. Yeah, his whole character is not necessary. Yeah. He's only there for the double cross earlier in the movie. The, he shows up here like he has some issue with Bond. It's they've spent twenty seconds together on screen. So glad he met his end. And there, move on from that. Yeah, character. Bond throws an SUV on top of yeah. him. Well, I mean, it's pretty much just for the line that I had a brother. His name was Felix Leiter. Sure. Yeah. Implying that you killed Felix Liner, like screw you. But Safin, let's let's throw this SUV on top of you. Yeah, Safin <laughs> takes uh, Madeline and Matilde uh, away, but they've been able through the Mister White's Norway house secret base. He's been tracking this island that this family made. That's when we learned about the dioxin, uh, and we know where we're going. So Bond's able to kind of 
get this charter flight. I love that they bring Q, you know what I mean? Like Q's, old Q's just like a Q branch scene. He gets his gadgets and then we never see him again. This Q's like in the thick of it. I love it. Well, and that's why I like how I said earlier, there's there's almost a family vibe between them. Like, like Q is Q is there to help you with what I can. I'm not going to go past my capabilities and helping you achieve this mission or this this goal of yours. But I'm going to do everything I can to help you achieve what you want to achieve sure. in, the, in this situation. No, yeah, it's really great. And Nomi gives up her double O status to reinstitute it for Bond for this last mission. Michael Jordan, wear 23 one last time. I'll, <laughs> I'll allow it. And they did that. He wore 45 for what? Yeah, a I was couple say, months. This is what what is uh Daniel Craig right now? Oh, oh four five, just like uh, yeah. Jordan was. <laughs> exactly. So they they come in, they sneak into this bait. This I now I'm getting a little bit on board with Sap. Kind of. His goals still aren't clear, especially when we see that map of like Europe and the United States like imploding with nanobots. Like now is he just wait, wait. Just just wait a second, and then... Um, but I like the lair. Classic Bond lair. This is a Blofeld lair from the Connery era. This is a Goldfinger lair, uh, something from Thunderball. This is great. I like this island. It's secluded. And then it gets kind of crazy with the politics of it all, and they're like, they're like we can't launch a strike. Why not? Because they're like, we can't tell the truth and everything. But Bond, I like that it's Bond and Nomi sneak into this thing and we get to see the efficiency of both agents. And then as bond rises up through the thing and has this confrontation with Sappin, uh, I kind of like that. It slowly starts to like, we're going to get them off the Island. And then it's his bond story to well, finish before we touch on that. Yeah. This is like the last nod to, to like a lot of old bond fans want the bond gear right so this they're the drop in the drone or whatever you call it the the drone yeah. slash submarine yeah. is like the last nod to to secret agent technology right can so, we talk, talk about how amazingly dressed he's been through this whole film this sweater thing he's wearing in the end i was like i want that and it probably costs like a thousand dollars outrageously expensive clothing for for everything That's, and the worst part is if you go buy that not looking as good no as Daniel way. Craig in any of those no, clothes. No, his tailored clothing through this whole series, top shelf. Uh, that uh, suit he wore in the Matera opening, Matera opening sequence. Oh, it's like hugs him. It's perfect. Oh, and that's that's a, a comfortable, just a comfortable fit, comfortable dress. Yeah, to to go visit casual. Yeah, casual is a good way to put it. It's got to be like and 30, then, $3,500. You know, his, his tux for the, the Cuba scene, perfectly tailored. Just Yeah, somehow you know, Anadarmus like tailored yeah, him to the nine. Just perfect, perfect. The final sequence. Last warning, ladies and gentlemen. We're about to get into huge spoiler territory here, but final confrontation between hero and villain. We're holding the child ransom. Uh, we have your lover down in below decks. I'm working with some serious poisons here. They got like a poison-like trough here. We'll call it an arroyo for for short. Are all the this like the nanobot juice, right? So so this is <laughs> this is where the villain to me 
falls apart completely. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I don't want it to take away too much from the end of the film um, because ult- it... ultimately it's about Bond yeah. and not the villain. Yeah. So there's nanobots that they, you know, kidnapped this scientist for, but he had all the technology for this weaponized um, bio strain of, of yeah, virus DNA implanted in, in the, in the nanobots. What's the deal with all these toxic plants? They try and imply that he's making the weapon out of them, but in reality, there's nothing to indicate that they are. Another interesting thing is he makes it very clear he's just obsessed with Madeline at this point, but then also wants to kill the entire world with his nanobots. That comes out of nowhere. Makes no sense. Makes no sense whatsoever. There's no justification for it. There's no justification for why he's in love with Madeline. He just tries to imply, oh, I saved your life, so now... I'm obsessed with you, but there's been no prior pretty weak engagement with yeah, her in terms like you. He would have been stalking her or something if he was that. When Bond gets character. on that computer and you just see like the data going, like they're gonna kill millions of people with nanobots. It was like, where did this come from? I thought his goal was Spectre, and he did. You that have the- so many films that you review, and you say they're good until they get to world domination, destroy the world. Yeah, this and is this, this is that unnecessarily devolves into that the, for no but, reason. But can, it, it does that, but can I tell you that? It doesn't kill the movie for me because we still have heart in this thing. You know what I mean? Like, it was, this is Bond's last mission, and he's got stake in the game. He has a child. He has a lover that he has to save. So I think I care less about, screw this plot, because this is absurd. But I do want to see Bond rescue his loved ones. What does M tell him? You have three objectives. Kill Safin, destroy the plant, and rescue Madeline, Swan, and Child. I care about three. Forget these other two. I don't care about those. The unfortunate aspect of the villain plot being such a mess is I actually do think there's some interest there in England... MI6 trying to cover up that they oh they're so trying created to cover up this, this weapon, but it's in the background of this film because you've got this Safin character that's taking the lead with this nonsensical plot. Another interesting thing he drops is if you don't think that that's Bond's child, Safin does drop it in this sequence that this is your child. He does, yeah. Um, so that does kind of ninety percent confirm it until Madeline does confirm it later in the movie how's the last scene of this film like not m being like led to prison in handcuffs like that's that's the last scene of the movie uh yeah there's all this like cover-up and espionage and we can't launch a thing we're not authorized but like we have to otherwise we're going to find out our secrets and it's it's kind of it's a very much a mess but in between all that get the mess out of there it's bond trying to save his child and his wife i'll call her wife at this point that's interesting because we've never been there before. And that scene when it's kind of a long scene, maybe five minutes where Bond's like kneeling at the head of Safin and I bow down before you because don't kill the child. And man, to the kudos to Bond to think I can take care of these guys. And he pulls a gun out, guns the guy in front of him, these two behind him. And then like, is okay like like that the girl's not going to get killed? And I thought this was interesting that Safin, and this is where I knew it wasn't about her. It was about Madeline. Yeah, run off. You think you're going to survive the assault that this base is going to take? Yeah, good luck. But uh, they're able to find the girl, get Madeline. Nomi comes back. Obachev gets dumped into the nanobot juice. 
and just lepers himself into like oblivion. And all the workers flee at this point. They're able to go to safety. And it was at this point in the movie, the Bond fan speaking, where I was like, I'm a little nervous. Like, Bond's going back in. They kiss Madeline goodbye. And he's like, I have to see this through to the end because if that gets... I saw the map. I saw the pandemic map. If that gets into the these ships that are coming, because they're going to sell it to the ships that are going to infect yeah, everyone. Un, oh, yeah, un, what a, unmarked yeah, or whatever. Yeah, let's not get in the weeds with that. But <laughs> I have to blow up the plant because this can't get in the wrong hands. I'm going in alone. A... Good for Craig because I want to see him by himself do away with a number of people and show us why he is the Bond, why we love him. But then I'm like, I don't know about this. I don't know. And and so I think that feeling, I totally got the same thing. And that feeling comes from the fact that he's never had someone he cared about before. So if, if Madeline Swan is just some hot Bond girl that he needs to return to for his love scene at the end of the movie, you know he's surviving. But you throw a kid and a love interest in there, which is not something Bond's ever had, and all of a sudden I had zero confidence that he was going to make it out of this situation because Bond doesn't have those things. But I've also seen a lot of action movies, and usually like, even if someone's like super lethal weapon too, like Mel Gibson takes a bajillion bullets at the end of that thing, and he like... Is there just all bandaged up at the end of the thing? I always kind of think they'll get out of it in time. They'll survive their gruesome injuries. They'll just need some rehab time. There's always a way to kind of get out of that. But as Bond's expertly just going... And that's one thing that the review of the Craig films has gone. Bond's really good at killing people. He's really good at just shooting people like dead sights. uh, Like headshot, headshot, do away with them. And we see that in this scene, and I don't know if you guys have seen this, but the director, Kerry Joji Fukunaga, uh, directed every episode of True Detective Season 1. And in one of those episodes, there's a great long-take sequence of Matthew McConaughey at a biker drug takedown. And it's like 10 minutes unbroken action. It's it's brilliant. They kind of do that in in this thing with the this stairway scene. And the stairwell. Yeah, if this was like the last Craig Bond action sequence, kind of cool. Like just him just taking people out like like nothing. And as the camera just like follows him, like do you, at this point do you guys kind of are you guys getting in an emotional state that I'm in that like you kind of feel in the way the film's going that this is it like this is literally like the last journey we're taking with him up this stairwell I was halfway there because the the goal of this stairwell ascent is to open the blast doors. So the missiles can hit it. <laughs> so the missiles can hit it. The missiles have not been launched yet though. And they've already they've already stated that it'll take I believe they already stated uh in the movie that it'll take nine minutes for the missiles to reach their target. When do they launch? Uh so they launch pretty much when he when he's opening them up. It's after. It's yeah. just after that. It's after he gets the uh, dodo. Oh my! Is that what yeah, the, break the my little heart, girl? Break my calls, heart some more. The little girl calls her uh, stuffed bunny rabbit. Uh, dodo. Yeah. It's after he he collects that 
that they launch. They launch. Okay. They launch. I believe. They say nine minutes it's, a lot. It's You're right, right around there. Right. Lost but in they, a fray. Dodo does not make it out. <laughs> That's heartbreaking. That is that is heartbreaking. Oh God! <laughs> Spoiler alert. But uh, yeah, Bond makes his way at it. Uh, they've th- they've made it clear that nine minutes is, nine minutes is exactly. the time span that we're working with. I like the last bit of Bond insubordination where Q's trying to like run him through the World War II era, like reopening the silo door sequence, and he's just like, "Screw it, I'm opening the doors," and then they open up. Like it's classic him, I classic Craig's Bond. I yeah. got this. Okay, so. Buckle up, Rye audience. We're about to get into some crazy territory here. So Bond opens the silo doors. The missiles are coming. He's probably got, what, like eight minutes? He's got eight minutes to get out of this thing, get in some water, drift off to shore, reunite with Madeline and Mathilde. And then, yeah, he sees little Dodo. What is it? Like, it's. I thought it was an octopus, which would have been cool because that's Spectre. I don't know what it is. It's something. It's, it's like, a rabbit to me. I... I think it's a bunny rabbit. Bond puts yeah. Dodo in his like little like sheath here, like in between his like suspenders and whatnot. And then they go through the poison garden, which is again classic Bond villain territory. And Rami Malik shows up and then like puts some bullets in Bond. And it's at that this moment I was like, he's not gonna get up from that. Like that, those are those are kill shots. And then they have a fisty cuffs, and I thought this was crazy. Bond just like straight up just breaks his arm in the water, and it's just like compound fractures. That was brutal. Oh yeah, brutal, completely brutal. Uh, but something that happened in between all this was, I can't remember who gave it to him, but someone gives Saffron a red vial, and it's a special nanobot compound that's been made specifically for him. That's an infection towards Madeline and the little girl. And it's almost like a backup plan for him. And when you see it, you're like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Like we're- They addressed that earlier in mm-hmm. the, you know, just a few minutes uh, earlier in the film when, when he receives that vial, which is from the hair he is twirling at the beginning of that sequence oh, good. way yeah. earlier in the film. Yeah. Uh, when he meets uh, Madeline, uh, and he, Matilda asks, or not Matilda, uh, Madeline asks, "What is that?" And he says, "Insurance," and that's definitely what he uses it for yeah. at, at this point. Yeah. Rami Malek comes into this film just to screw everything up here at the very end. So in this fisty cuffs, he like jabs the vial into Bond's cheek. <coughs> And then bleeds himself out in this water. So if there was an infection there, it's you're getting it in the water. And then he just lays out. He's like, I got you. You can't touch them. Can't hug them. You can't kiss them. You can't do nothing. And the realization, like the, the, the performance in Craig, the realization from him to like see, oh, I got this guy and then is he serious, this, this, and that. And he knows the ramifications of this drug because he already killed Blofeld with it, and you got it for life, bud. Three slugs in his head. He's done. How's he getting out of this? A, I thought, he's not surviving those bullet wounds, so how's he getting out of this silo? Now he's infected with the nanobots that he can't touch the people he wants to touch. His slow ascension to reopen them so the military can kill the base so it doesn't kill humanity. To his slow climb up the stairs, 
All right, let's let's. What do you guys think at this point? Like, where what territory are we about to get into here? I mean, it's becoming pretty clear that he's not going to make it out. That this is Daniel Craig's final exit as Bond, which is also going to be Bond's uh, exit for the first time in the franchise. Um, I do think there's a good emotional payoff here. You know, as mm-hmm. he comes to the realization, you the audience is slowly coming to the realization that he's the, not going to make it. In the back of your head, you know, are you still thinking that the do the filmmakers have the guts to do this? Like, there's a shred of doubt in me that I was like, are they really going to do this? And and you're like walking through the options. Well, you're shot, but that's no big deal. Like, yeah, stitch you up, stitch you up. You can get over that. The the nanobot thing is is kind of a, well, can't you just stay away from them until Q can find a cure? But they even have Q jump in and say there's nothing that can be done. And so Bond reaches the point that he reached in the car way earlier in the film where he's willing to let go. And you can tell on the screen that that's happened. Um, and then he jumps into the conversation with Madeline. He, he calls... Um, the replacement 007 uh, know me and asks for Madeline. And that's where, that's where, you know, well, and then he, not only does he know there's no return from this, but he's come to the realization that everything he's pictured as a life after 007 is taken away from him. Yeah. The last mission. Like what's the point at this point? Uh, that, you know, everything he's envisioned beyond 007 is gone. So why why even consider moving on from that? <clears throat> so let me say this as the Bond fan, aficionado. He didn't look good with the kill shots in the Poison Garden. I didn't believe the thing across the cheek. It was when Q said... Oh my gosh, how could I be so stupid? Let me put them on the. That's when it set in for me. Was like, he's toast. He's not gonna get out of here. So this is where music. Oh, this is where plays the, a big role this is where the Hans in the movie. Zim, this is where the Hans Zimmer. So comes this in. is personally, this is on after the movie, listening to the entire soundtrack. Sure, yeah. This is my favorite track on this this soundtrack. That's yeah, good. Uh, I'm going to play some. It's called The Final Ascent. The Ascent of the Stairs? (laughs) This this moment in the music is what absolutely gets me to the core in this this scene, in this sequence. Let's walk the listeners through this. So he's bleeding out from the gunshots. He's poisoned. He's climbing these things. He's got three minutes left. Even if he gets off the island, there's no guarantee yeah. like we assume oh it's james bond he's gonna you know be stitched up like you said yeah uh and and be fine from these fatal fatal wounds from this gunshot so he cl- uh, yeah he climbs- there's no guarantee that that'll happen yeah absolutely so he climbs up to the platform here and then has his final confrontation or conversation with madeline and it's essentially saying i'm not going to make it out of here I wish you well. And then it's the the final revelation was like, it's your child. She has your eyes. And and he, his final lines are like, I know. And then they come back to me. He's like, I know as the missiles are coming down on him. I think in a heroic moment where he's 
taken one for the team to destroy this base to sacrifice himself. And then I couldn't believe this happened. Like when it happened, I was like, they're going to find a way to undo this somehow. Right. Audience. No, James Bond dies in this movie. He's like blown away by like, uh, battle cruiser missiles and it's shocking. Like, I think I'm still recovering from the shock of this moment that it like, it truly happened. And the film doesn't give you a lot of time to process it. Cause it just, it kind of keeps going a little bit after that. What do you guys think at this point? What's your status at this moment? I don't think I fully processed it till the credits rolled. Okay. Um, and there's always the scene after the credits where it says James Bond will return. And I realized when the credits start rolling, I don't know if that's going to come up at the end of the movie. It does. It does. And it does. Yeah. yeah. But at the moment, that that's where it hit me, you know, more so than it happening in the film. Um, yeah, they do go through the sort of let's make a toast to Bond, the, the crew without him afterwards. And I think most of the emotional weight comes from the uh, phone call with, with Madeline. And and that's why I said at the beginning of this movie, I think so much of how this movie plays depends on whether you buy that relationship. And I do at that point, I could see how some may not, but I I think it, yeah, we have all the time in the world. Kill me now. Yeah. I I, I think that whole sequence plays out quite well as a farewell to Daniel Craig, but also has emotional payoff just in regards to that relationship. Let me ask you this because Casino Royale, Quantum, Skyfall, Spectre, and now this film, we've seen the journey this particular Bond has gone through. Is it unsatisfying to kill him? Does he deserve the happy ending or does this seem about right like the way it was going the entire time? So, yes, he deserves the happy ending. But at the same time, he's tried for the happy ending in two movies, right? He tried for it in Casino Royale, uh, in yeah. the plot of that yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. the in the conclusion of that movie, you realize that's not an option. Mm-hmm. He tries for it at the end of Spectre. Yeah. Like you you know, it's a happily ever after at the end of Spectre, right? So you kind of I do accept this end of Bond, like, at at the end of this movie, mm-hmm. because he's he's accepted his fate. He's he's done the most noble thing you can do as a human being, uh, in some, you know, uh, accept the the your death for your child, and. Uh, I I think it's a worthy payoff for the the five film yeah scheme of of Daniel Craig. What about you? As James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought it was a fitting end. Um the Daniel Craig era has mostly been associated for me with an increased emotional factor of the films. It's yeah. not the previous formula of one and done. One and done. Yeah. Um all the relationships are superficial sort of thing. Um, and I think there's a place for that. I don't want Bond to move away from that older formula forever. It can work, yeah. Um, but within the Daniel Craig era, that is not where they went. And it wouldn't make sense to end it that way where you just... I, I think it makes sense to end with 
a significant relationship that he can't have a bit of heartbreak because that's what has plagued bond through the Daniel Craig era is yeah. a bit of heart heartbreak. And I, I think that that plays well here. It, it ties it up very nicely. If you're a bond fan overall, I don't know how you feel about killing the bond character. If you are that's invested <laughs> in the bond character, that Daniel Craig portrayed, yeah. I think it's an excellent ending. But there's conflict there for sure between the Bond character overall and not wanting to see that be done to that character versus it's a very good ending for the Daniel Craig character. I don't even know if I can give an answer that either of you two gave because I'm still in shock and I saw it twice. I still can't believe they did it. You know what I mean? Like kudos to them because I'm always the person saying, Jesus, you got to kill one of those people in Harry Potter or Avengers, like I was glad some of them bit the bullet and I expected it. I didn't expect it in this film and I can't believe they did it. And I think I'm still processing it, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's that's, I think why I like Skyfall so much is because it is a bit of a one-off in this five film arc tied into a larger story at the end of the day. But this is, this is something else. Like that's why we'll get into the ratings here in just a second. I never thought they would ever do something. Like, and when we, we left the theater, you're like, did they ever kill Bond? I was like, no, they've never killed Bond before. I was 99% sure it had never happened, but I had to check with you just yeah. to make sure I wasn't just. They killed in his the dark. wife before, yeah. Um, I will say that the one aspect of this era and this movie that's going to be interesting is how does this age? I think it was a fair and fitting emotional end to Daniel Craig's. Um, era as Bond, but it is possible that killing the Bond character hurts the next movies to come because they're going to completely reboot, which could be good, could be bad. I think what it proved is that creatively you could, now with a new actor, and we'll get into that with the nightcap, that you could build a four film, three film, five film arc, however much the person wants to do, and build the story around them, begin it, middle it, and complete it with them. And that's what they did here. And They've never done it before, and kudos to the writers. And I don't know whose idea it was, but for them to say those missiles hit Bond and then, like, fade to white, what? (laughs) Well, and so doing some research, uh, knowing I was going to be on this episode, uh, I did some research and listening to some of the reviews and just reactions towards this, this this movie, No Time to Die, uh, a lot of people addressed that this is the best conclusion for any actor within Bond. Oh, are you kidding me? Let's be real. Like, Pierce Bros's conclusion is dying of the day? Right. Like, what a joke. Possibly the worst one in no, his... It is the worst one. <laughs> but yeah. there's, there's conflict there, though, because part of the reason you can just move from one actor to the next is that the character wasn't done. Exactly. The actor exactly. is done, but the character wasn't. It is going to be interesting to see how they play this, because the character is done and the actor is done, so how do you move forward? They made it clear post-credits, that James Bond will return. Yeah. Um, it's too profitable to not. So let's be real. We all knew that was going to years, occur. man. Yeah, we're going to go see um, that on opening weekend. Yeah, But that's where real. my interest lies. We'll see how I feel about it after the next one to two Bond movies and where they I go feel like it. Craig earned it, though. I mean, he like, did. for, he like, did. Casino to be such a reboot that was 
listen to that episode, but his casting was controversial. No one believed in him. And then that film came out and everyone was like, oh, this is a really good movie. Not just a Bond movie, but this is a good movie. And then like Quantum's a bit of a miss, but then Skyfall comes out and it's the highest grossing Bond film of the batch. And it looks great. It feels great. Has that great song. For them to wrap it up like this, I think I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? And I think I, I'm much like you. I'm curious. What do they even do next? It's, it's obviously a reboot origin with a new actor. And then just tell another five film arc, I think is what they do. But this film wraps up with, again, if you didn't care about M, Ray finds M. He like, they do a simple little one minute toast to Bond, click a glass and he's like back to work. If that's what you want in a bar and a boss, seek that out. But <laughs> again, Judy Dench's M would be like, yeah, go home for the rest of the day. Jesus. <laughs> I, I loved this scene. Yeah. Like this, this scene was gold to me just because I'm not going to lie. I, like I said, at the beginning, Daniel Craig is my James Bond. Sure. So I was shedding a tear when the missiles hit the island and he's still on it, right? So they this a, they do a cool shot of him too, where it's like a like a from the ground up of him like and he's got dodo like in his like well, sheath. And now that you mention it, uh they zoom in on his eyes. Again, the importance, yeah. Uh just like they did in Casino Royale. Sure. Yeah. Apparently. Uh so I'm I'm already teary-eyed at this point in yeah. the movie. So this final toast to him the final toast literally, yeah. The clink of the glass from M to to Bond's poured Let me back up empty glass. I accept everyone else's toast except M's, who's just like, get back to work, you bastards. Like he's like he's like he's like Everything turns on. Everyone else is like emotionally do you distraught. Think, do you think that's a bit of God? I'm glad we're done with that James Bond guy who's a pain in my ass. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's like <laughs> that's gosh. how that toast feels. That's how he is. He's like God. That employee that just like never listened to me. Glad the, we're done with that. The quote he reads though, if you reread that, like that's a that's a good freaking quote. I got. I thought. Gosh, I was because it was already a, a little bit Avengers Endgamey with the daughter and the five years later. I kind of thought they were going to do a Dark Knight Rises thing here with Gordon, be like, "It's a far, far better life that he lived than I never knew," or like the telling two city. I thought he was going to do that, and I was like, "Oh man, this movie's ripping off everything." So, so the one thing I did expect them to do until they made it clear he got blown up, I thought they were going to have him. He got out. Die yeah. in air quotes, and then the last scene would be him walking with through the Madeline, door, similar to He'd Dark Knight Rises, a, a where, Christopher Nolan montage at the end. Yes, I did think that was going to happen until they made it clear very much that it did not, and they made it clear with the very, very last scene where I would have been Ma okay with that too. Madeline does start talking about a man named James, James or Bond, James Bond. Let's talk about um, that. So Ma the final scene of the film is. They're in Mateta again. And I thought they were going to go back to the tomb and Bond was going to be buried, buried with Vesper. And all. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but anyway, Bond left uh, Madeline with the V8 Vantage that he left at her farm. And they're driving with Mathilde. And again, if you've listened to last week's episode or two weeks ago episodes of Casino Royale, like which screenwriter it was that came up with the last lines of that screenplay where my name is Bond, James Bond, and patted themselves on the back for months afterwards... Which screenwriter was it in this film to say Bond dies, and then the last films, of, the last lines of this film are his name was Bond James Bond. 
months. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a story it's the same, about it's, Bond. It's the same James Bond. It's the same guy. <laughs> yeah, like whoever it was. Definitely. <laughs> and then we end out to and then if you listen to last week's episode, my number one favorite Bond song was Louis Armstrong's "We Have All the Time in the World," and that's the film that plays us out to the credits. Yep. I didn't know when I did it. I think you alluded to hearing it in the, in the score. Yeah. yeah, in the score, but not. Yeah, I, I noticed that too, having listened to the episode before I watched the movie, um, that that was the song that played. So so a couple things, and then I have a couple questions for you, and I already knew this was going to be a, an extremely long episode for us, but by all means, this was a huge film to discuss. And then Bond dies? How do we not like like spend a good majority of time talking about that? We said it was delayed several times due to COVID. Four times due to COVID. It was, I think was it, was, it four? I, think I thought it was, it was just three. I think it was the first film to say, hey, we're moving our release date. And then they moved to November, then back to April, and then to October. So how that twist of Bond dying and the daughter didn't leak out in between the pandemic is remarkable to me. Like, had in a, they had to have Did had... Did they screen that They to had someone? to have had... It was too close to the release? It was a month away from being released. Yeah, that that is impressive. How did no one on like Reddit say, "Bond dies at the end of this movie, man," and like no <laughs> one knew about it? I was shocked. Uh, Danny Boyle was the original director of this. He directed uh, *Train Spotting* and *Slumdog Millionaire* and left to, uh, due to creative differences. And this is shocking to me. Kerry uh, Joji Fukunaga is the first American to actually direct a Bond film, and he's the first one to receive directing and writing credit at the same time. Really? Yeah. Wow. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is the second woman to be credited with a screenplay credit in the franchise, and she came in to pepper up the characters and kind of round it out. I think she had a lot to do with Nomi and probably Paloma's character. Yeah, my understanding is um, Nomi and Paloma, I think the Book of Mormon joke, that sort of language is, is her... Um, so and I loved, I loved in this. That was good peppered humor. Uh, and then some of these sequences, that opening bit, uh, the Cuba sequence, and I think the Norway sequence in the end were filmed with IMAX cameras, but more of it could have been filmed with IMAX had Nolan not been hoarding all of them while filming tenant at the exact same time. (laughs) There's only six IMAX cameras in the world that ladies and gentlemen, and I think Nolan got five, and this film got one. So you get what you get, people. How much do you got to pay for those? Gosh. They're so expensive. And, like, for people, this is a little just film theory for you or whatever. An IMAX film stock is about the size of, like, a postcard. The The film image is that big on that camera. In 35 millimeter, it's about the size of, like, a postage stamp. So you can see how much res- more resolution you get on a larger format. So it can't be cheap. And Nolan like wrecked one of those cameras on the dark night in the convoy chase sequence. It was like a $1 million camera that they just busted. Uh, But Blake and Brett, what is your favorite tasting note? And it's been a while since you've been on, but tasting note, favorite scene sequence of the entire film. What is that for you in no time to die? So my favorite, I already mentioned it was the Cuba sequence with, Ana de Armas. Um, I thought it was quintessential Bond. It was fun. It was action-packed. Um, just kind of a, a full sequence there that that I really enjoyed. Um, I did wish we got more of the Paloma character. Um, maybe maybe there's usefulness out of it. 
in the future. Um, that's sort of a good introduction to, to know me as well. And, and I think it all plays quite nicely in, in that sequence. So that, that was my favorite tasting note. What about you, Brett? So I really loved the Cuba sequence as, as Blake so uh, eloquently described, but I also really loved the action sequence in the, in the forest mm. in Norway uh, after, after Bond comes to the realization that uh, Ash is coming after, maybe not him, but but Madeline and Matilde. Yeah, uh, back in Norway, the foggy, the foggy yeah, forest. It looked good. Yeah, is an in just an incredible uh, setting. Even when for that sequence, even when they're shooting bullets at him, it almost looked like lasers going past him. It was it was really well it put was, together. It was beautifully beautifully constructed. And just the the sound, like everything about it was just encapsulating. Like I couldn't take my eyes off the screen during that whole that whole sequence in the in the foggy forest. So so that would be mine. I think mine is the final ascension up the not the 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 one the, the death stairs, but the stairway action one long take action bit with yeah. Craig because yeah. I think it dawned on me while I was watching. I was like, this is it. This is his last film. We're wrapping it up. He's gonna go he's just gonna be efficient going all the way up. And it was great. He got blown up by a grenade, I think well, at one point. Even just so you get the one grenade, mm-hmm. he tosses it back up the oh, stairs. And then he gets three. Throw, and then he gets three and it actually does damage. And then the music did it like it was like bum 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 bum, and then he gets to use his Q E M P watch thing. A great sequence just all around. But I'm curious here: Are we gonna have the same? Oh my god! Moment in No Time to Die. What do you guys got? So, I'm gonna take the obvious choice and Bond dying. Yeah. Like that, it never happened before. Uh, even though I haven't seen all the the bonds prior yeah. to this iteration, it didn't happen. I knew yeah. it had never happened before. So the fact that Bond is just after pouring his heart out to the woman he loves, the woman he's giving up giving up this career for. Uh, over the radio, yeah. Just accepts the the missiles hitting this island that he's standing on, like ah, uh, like like I said earlier, te- tears in my eye. Yeah, like this was this was this hit me. Was that yours as well? I just don't. I'm still processing how they like they did it. They did it. They just stuck to it and. To the producers, the writers, they did it well, too. and they did it well. It did. It doesn't like come at like it. Like it wasn't just him dying on a mission. Yeah. Even though in the end, it is in the grand scheme of things, him dying during a mission. Yeah. It is way more emotional. I'm. T- I think I'm that. just. I'm more shocked by people, uh, the filmmakers and everything, just saying we're gonna do it and we're gonna stick to our guns and we're just gonna we're gonna do it. So yeah, that's gotta be mine. Yeah, that that's the right answer. I was gonna offer a second one, little different. Um, 
moment in the film. And it's more of the, oh my God, this is an eye roll moment for me. <laughs> a little different than the shocking. Um, the whole monologue with um, with Safin where he's admitting that this whole plot is related to him being in love with Madeline just took me out of the movie for a little while there. And it was more of an, oh my God, I can't handle this villain's plot right now. Is that when they're uh, sitting there? Yeah, they're like sitting there in his compound and, yeah. and he's kind of giving a, a bit of exposition. And and, yeah, and then they're walking through the garden as he as he talks about it. So I agree. The true oh my God moment is Bond is dead. That's like the <laughs> but, oh my God of the year. Like, I can't believe it. The, the secondary one was just more of a, where are they going with this movie? What's right this now? character doing? And, and I fully agree with you. That was... A, a little sidetrack, but sure. ultimately the end of that movie was all about Bond and not so much the villain. So sure. I it, I move on from it, but that was definitely the the weak area of, of the end of the film. Who's the master distiller on No Time to Die? There's only one right answer, right? I mean, yeah, it's it's Daniel Craig. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't I'm assuming that one may be unanimous, but this is his swan song. This is kind of a a send off for him. He's great in it, just like he was in in previous Bond films that he's been in, and uh, I think it's got to be him. About you, uh, so I I teeter towards giving it to Leia Sadu, uh, or however you pronounce that's that right. Name. Actually, <laughs> okay, uh, just because she she gives so much buy in into this relationship that he's ultimately giving up this life for. Yeah. Uh, she, as, as far as the beginning with the, you know, DB five mm. desperate, helpless, uh, victim scene, uh, to the, to the farewell speech, uh, Craig gives at the end. Yeah, she's, uh, she's, I'll probably give it to, to Leia to do. She's really good in this movie. I'm with Blake though. Like, this being Craig Swan song, I think this is his best performance as Bond. He gets to like really stretch his legs with what they allow the character to do, and that last kind of like five minutes with him is remarkable. Like he's so good at like, I don't know how Pierce Brosnan would have done that, but it wouldn't be as good. I'm just telling you that right now. It'd be a joke. And Roger Moore, get out of here. <laughs> the fact that they gave that to Craig and said, "Pour your heart out, and you're this, you're going out." Shout out, special shout out to uh, Ana de Armas, though. Like, in the little bit she's I told in you this I, movie, I, I love that sequence. I told you, I like, want that character was, to come back. She was fantastic. Yeah. She was fantastic. But yeah, you're right. This is Craig Swan's song, his final film. They He came back for one so they could close it out. Got to give it to him. How are you guys going to rate and grade No Time to Die? We have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf for our ratings. Where are you guys going? So, I think if this isn't a tribute to Daniel Craig, this is a a middling movie, to be honest. I think the plot... When you really sit down and think about it, yeah, it's like... Ew. I think the plot and the villain really unravel for a while there. Um, but, with that being said, it is Daniel Craig's swung song. They do kill Bond in a manner that... I connected with emotionally and thought that it was done quite well. 
beyond that, it's it's a typical Bond movie. Great action sequences, um, some some laughs in the middle. It's a little heavy for me, but I think all said and done, I'll give it a bump to single barrel, teetering on single barrel minus. Um, I think it's really one notch below that if all those other things sure, aren't yeah. in play. But yeah. that bumps it up a fair amount for me. Yeah. Uh, for me, being is that Daniel Craig is my Bond, is my James Bond, uh, I give this a single barrel to single barrel plus even. Uh, just as far as, like I said, uh, we've gotten no swan song from any Bond at Bond actor uh before this and uh this this is an appropriate uh final farewell to to his character arc and uh so i give it a, a single bell excellent sure. yeah i mean i've been think since i saw it i was like gosh how am i gonna rate this film in the confines of the franchise but then within what they gave to us Ladies and gentlemen, we're not going to see a Bond film like this. We haven't seen one before like this, and I don't think we'll ever see one after. Unless they decide to do the exact same thing the exact same way over again. This is truly a unique James Bond film, and it's the reason we've said, go see the movie so you don't have it spoiled for you. I'm shocked it didn't get leaked out. It's a single-barrel Bond film for me. I don't think it reaches the proficiency heights of casino royale and skyfall and honestly in my review i think skyfall i think is the best of his era just in terms of filmmaking quality and the the story something about going back to his home there and that like home aloneing of that house i just i love it so much uh but james bond dies ladies and gentlemen we're never that's never happened and i don't think it's gonna happen again i don't care who plays him next and done well and well and done done together pretty well but like Blake said, like when you boil it down, it is a fairly by the books Bond film. And when you really think about it too much, it really starts to fall apart. But that last 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes is pretty well done, ladies and gentlemen. So, so question just for you, just for you, Jesse, okay. the Bond aficionado and, and the, the one that, uh, Runs the podcast week in, week out. Yeah. Where is this sit number three in the Craig Pantheon of films firmly in the middle? I is think, that where it ends I up? I think so. I think it's, for me, I think it's, uh, I think it's Skyfall now, honestly. Skyfall, Casino, this uh, this one, Spectre and Quantum. Uh, yeah, this this was, I, th- I think that's also made it more emotional because I revisited them all before seeing this and I was like, He's been a great Bond. I think I'm going to say this, this is a, and this is a hot take just for the podcast from Jesse. He's the best Bond we've had. I don't care. I agree. I agree. I've seen Connery. I've seen them all. And his performance, the films that he's been in, like it's been a remarkable ride. I mean, he's been Bond since we've been sophomores in high school. He's been Bond for a better part of half of our lives. I mean, it's it's been such a ride and a journey, and it's been good and bad. But I, this is such a good capper to all of that, regardless of how you feel about it. Uh, it's a nice way to end his tenure as Bond. I'm getting nods in agreement. And until that, let's wrap this up with our nightcap.
You're like, what's that music doing in a Bond film? Guess what? He dies. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it's doing. That's what's happening there. So, obviously, the teaser at the end of this film is James Bond will return. Uh, This, I think this is the only film series that's box office proof, critic proof, good, bad, ugly proof. It's going to continue until, if it ever dies, I'll be completely shocked. My nightcap question to both of you is, you get one actor to pick, who's playing Bond next? Ooh, loaded question. Super loaded. Uh, So, there's going to be a lot of things that people are looking for in the next Bond. I do think them killing Bond in this film lets them make a more dramatic turn in the next one. Um, to maybe someone out of the prototypical bond. And so my choice is going to reflect where I think they go with this. Um, my choice is going to be Henry Golding. Um, he's oh. not a hugely known actor, but most known for his role in Crazy Rich Asians. Great choice. Asians snake Eyes. The, yeah. Snake Eyes oh. is also. I haven't yeah. seen this yet. <laughs> um, Neither have I. I heard his bad. Action. Action. <laughs> so he's he's. I did confine myself to to British actors, not trying to put an American in a quintessential British role for me. Um, So he's British, Malaysian, uh, young. I do want to see a younger Bond when they return. Um, Daniel Craig essentially had three of his five movies play on the fact that he was old. Roger Moore, as you touched on, was AARP. You know, by the time he was done with he that was role. pushing 60 and view to a kill and it shows. And I think, um, you know, movie movie going in the future is going to demand some sense of realism. I think a younger actor is necessary. And especially if they want to do another series of movies that link together like they did here. Um, so he's younger, um, brings a non-traditional um take on the role that doesn't just fit into the bonds of the past. And and so that's where I'm going with my selection. Great choice. That's great. So I went with the, the main critique of Daniel Craig, uh, unwarranted, warranted, uh, you know, uh, make those decisions, decisions as you may, uh, was his blonde hair at the beginning of, of his casting. Uh, my main choice is going to be Richard Madden. Uh, he's he's most known for his role as uh, Rob Stark on Game of Thrones. Uh, I think he adds a, a great grit to to the character. He looks like Bond. He looks like Bond. Yeah. He he offers a great presence as Bond. Uh, he's a little short. Uh, to, short? to my personal liking, how tall he's, is he? He's five nine. Wow, oh, okay. which isn't un- unreasonable. All that matters is that you can wear a suit. Literally, when you pose this question, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. Properly? I agree with that, and he can wear a suit. Like, <laughs> let's let's be real. He can wear a suit. So, so Richard, you Richard as, Madden, you went as be, far as to look up their height. Would be <laughs> my choice. Uh, he he's cast in Eternals 
right now marvel's yeah. marvel's eternals so who knows what that contract yeah, what's, is what's that movie going to look like what what's the details on, of that contract he may he may be committed for 15 years for all we know jesus but uh, uh richard moore or not richard moore richard madden great choice uh would be my choice uh i love i love them both uh and to kind of echo what Blake says, I, I think they want to shake it up a bit. There's a lot of word and like make it more inclusive, make it more unanimous. And if you're going to cast one per, if you want to go there and do it and do a lot of ageism, cover race, British, it's got to be Idris Elba. I mean, he's number one on, on every list. So what, what do you, what do you like about that? I just, I, I buy it. I mean, he's a good actor. First of all, I think if they want to cover an aged bond and that's kind of what these movies have done, but if they really want to get into the grid of like, can bond still do this? And like, and he's great at the temples and everything. I think they could have a lot of fun with like him playing bond and, Regardless of his skin toner, that shouldn't even matter in deciding what actor plays what part, but I think he would bring a lot to the table. He's a very accomplished actor, and that's going to be my choice. I mean, he had Bond uh, or Craig not done this one, there would have been even more word for him coming back uh, to be Bond for for this next one. So. Well, and, and my second choice, uh, kind of banking on what you went, with, with it was Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, oh, from Get Out. Yeah, Get Out. Oh, uh, Black Panther. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, I think I think he would he would offer a very different that's different a, appeal. That's a great choice to to James Bond as well. Oh, good. The the Idris Elba thing. I think everyone can see it, which is why he's been at the it, top yeah. of the list. He's got the ruggedly handsome looks. He's Big, you know, there comes across as big. I don't know if he's actually big, but you know, you think you you could see him beating someone up, you know, Daniel Craig style. Um, my big thing on that is the age. He's not much younger than Daniel Craig, Craig. is now, yeah. Um, and that would be starting out. And I honestly think that we could see a pretty big gap here in the movies. What I mean, what do you think we're gonna do? They just when killed we're gonna Bond. Get I don't think they're going to jump right into another one, do you? It might be four or five years. So then he's so Daniel 20, Craig's 26, age 25. Start. He's 20. Idris Elba 60. You're that's, right. That's tough. And I think that's ultimately why they won't choose him is because of the age. Do you have any honorable mentions? No. That, I, I just went with the one. I have two, and they're just more in the, like, the more obvious category. But Michael Fassbender, he looks like Bond. Obviously older, but a very accomplished actor in his own regard. I think he could do some cool stuff with the character. And then someone who I thought was going to blow up after this film, beauty and the beast. And then like, where's like his big parts, but he looks like bond and could do it. And it's British Dan Stevens. Uh, like where, where I want to, I, I think he could do uh, pretty well with the character, but I don't know where they're going to go with it. Uh, well, and that's, that's kind of the thing, right? Like they, they always pick not necessarily, B-list actors, but, but low-tier, yeah. low-tier A-list actors to to elevate them. It's yeah, probably right? not someone on the list that everyone's talking about. I bet, it's it's some, I bet it's someone that no one's even ever considered. I'm also very curious to see if we see a delayed 
next Bond, but in its place, we see a 00 spinoff with... One of these characters? With Nomi, Paloma, that sort of thing. <laughs> that would be interesting. There's space for it. They introduce them. Um, I don't think you can play that as James Bond. No. Uh, no you no, know, no. It's, it's a different character, tell a new, different story, but I don't think there's room for them to go that route if they want to expand on the Bond universe instead of just keeping yeah, the it bond is. universe versus the james bond character i think there's room to to grow that but blake and brett thank you for joining me today welcome to the new longest episode of our podcast so i knew it was going to be how could it not be discussing all the details of what this film has to offer thank you thank you for having us no yeah and really. thank you for joining me on just such a, a short notice but matt will be back next week as so it's october it's spooky season and we've had a bit of a tradition going on the last couple of years, and we've done the original slashers, and then their sequels, and we're getting we're going to get in the thick of it with the threes. We'll just call this Threes Company Slasher Edition next week, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to have Friday the Thirteenth Part Three in 3D. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. I'm curious to see what Matt has to talk about it, and then like what I have to add to it. But it's going to be a lot of fun, and then, yeah, and then we're going to have Halloween on, on the precipice coming up here, but it's going to be a lot of fun to wrap up the year, and then we got some big releases coming up in November, Dune, you mentioned The Eternals, and then uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, oh, what is even going on with that thing, but we're going to talk about <laughs> it, uh, so we've got a busy next few weeks with Rice Smile Films. You have anything to say, Hat? No, just I'm excited for Dune. That's that's the one I'm looking for. I know to, we're so. excited for Dune. Like I've, that's... I've read the books. Um, first two. I'm I'm new to the book series, but uh, gotten pretty into it. So looking forward to. The hey movie man, and... tickets booked. IMAX. We're ready to do it. I'm I'm excited for Dune. It's a top tier as far as casting goes, like as top notch, top notch casting goes. Uh, I'm also excited. Excited to hear Dune, or not Dune, uh, Eternals, Eternals moving forward. And uh, is everybody ready for that Spider-Man I, No Way Home episode coming feel, out in December? I feel that that's what's <laughs> really pushing the next phase of Marvel. Sure. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that turns out. Yeah, we'll get in the weeds with all of that. But cheers, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me today. Bring your glasses here. Cheers. I got to get going. I still got to go like psychologically process that they killed James Bond in this film. What am I even going to do in, with myself? So I got to run to the to the uh, car dealership and figure out which uh, Aston Martin I'm going to purchase. Whether it's going to be that that Vantage. VA Vantage, man. Classic, that, that classic sweet. Vantage. Or I'm going to get that new... Uh, that new vantage I hope that you have oh, 007 200 to 400 40. grand just lying around all day i, I saw all a day. job posting for the new bond on ZipRecruiter.com, so i'm gonna go dust <laughs> off my resume get my tux and indeed, uh, and indeed see if it, you do. It's, it's on all of them so uh i'll see if i i make the cut forget all these actors blake's playing the next one <laughs> do you remember when we did casino royale you should by hear the my way. british accent you heard it here first. <laughs> I played Bond. You played Mathis. It was a shit show. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. We'll see you all next week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films.
For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash Films for exclusive bonus episodes, plus feature-length watch-along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. No Time to Die is property of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Eon Productions, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. James Bond, license to kill. History of violence. I could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. Mine will survive long after I'm gone. History isn't kind to men who play God.